Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Iron List. Are you a robot? Yes. Okay. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bebs. My name is Winnie Seibold. I, too, am a critic. Uh, I don't have a cute nickname. I don't need one. You can just call me Whitney. Or, or Rockmeister McCool. If you're or Rockmeister McCool, if you like. Anyway, uh, this is the show. This is a monthly show here at the Critically Acclaimed Network where we let our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network uh, decide on a big giant top ten list for Whitney mm. and I to, to, to present and Whitney and I each separately, we don't talk about it, we each come up with our own top ten list, and then we present the top ten list, and then that's pretty much the whole show. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that we do a little differently from a lot of top ten lists is most people really worry about rankings, like, oh, is number nine really better than number ten? We don't really do that. If it's on our yeah, top yeah, ten we list, have... we want you to see this movie. The only number that we really, really matters, that we really agonize over, that actually means anything is... We do pick a number one. Yeah. Uh, Gun well, to our head. We, we, what would our number one movie be? We have to have at least and the, that. And yeah, two, two through ten. Jumble about as, as you will. Yeah. 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 Depending on the day, those could be completely different order. But regardless, we recommend every single one of those movies. This month on the Iron List, it is October. We had a whole bunch of horror-themed options. We want to, to give people some recommendations. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to... Usually the Iron List is one of, one of if not the last podcast we do every month. Mm. This month we're doing in the middle of the month because we know a lot of people are looking for horror recommendations. Yes. Uh, so thought we'd throw it out a little bit early. And this month, the winner of the poll was the best horror comedies, which is a great subgenre of film. Yeah. And uh, as, as it turns out, a little bit amorphous in definition. Um, mm. I, I was, for inspiration, as I typically do, I was looking online. Sure. Like, just sort of looking at gigantic lists. You have your genre, favorites, but you of... don't want to forget anything, yeah, so, so you, you look it up. Yeah. Reminding myself. And uh, films like Scream frequently made top lists of the best horror comedies. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call Scream a horror comedy. Hmm. That's a horror film that is maybe a little bit self-effacing. Yeah. Uh, but you're supposed a to take it really seriously. But, yeah, but it, is a, as a, it is a horror movie and yeah. not so much a comedy. It's a horror movie that yeah. has maybe some comedic or self-aware elements. Yeah. So it was kind of difficult to go through some of these lists because there were a lot of films that just didn't qualify. Well, and it's worth it's worth noting once again, as and we've talked about this a mm -hmm. lot of times when we do Iron Lists that involve genre. Um, genre is a little bit more, I think you use the word amorphous, than people tend to realize. Um, the idea that a movie needs to fit into only one genre is a vestigial remnant of the video store mentality, yeah, where there's yeah. only one physical place in the store where you could put the movie Alien. Do you put it in horror or do you put it in sci-fi? Let the debate begin. We started at the video store where I worked, started mm. getting multiple copies and putting them within multiple genres perfect. just to cover our bases. Well, that's perfect. And it shows and it shows because Alien is clearly both things. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of movies are clearly both things. I would argue that Scream, you can you can get quite a few laughs out of Scream. Scream mm. was very, very many funny bits. But I believe that the horror is taking itself seriously. For me, how I look at the horror comedy is that I feel like there are two general types of horror comedy. Okay. There are genuinely scary movies that have a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there are comedy movies with horror elements. Yes. So, generally speaking, horror fans will probably enjoy both versions of these. Mm -hmm. But people who don't enjoy the horror genre, there's a lot of people who simply don't enjoy being scared. No judgment here. Uh, will probably mostly gravitate towards the comedies that happen to have a vampire in it. As yeah, opposed to yeah. the scary vampire movie that is funny. Mm. Um, 
I draw no distinction in terms of quality or in terms of value. For me, my list contains both things. Okay. Uh, there are funny movies that just happen to have some supernatural elements, and there are genuinely scary type movies mm. that are very funny. I, I think I was a little bit more mercenary in that I was trying to pick films that were unambiguously comedic. Mm -hmm. These are, uh, you watch these uh, to laugh and a lot of them have horror elements or monsters in them. Um, yeah. But I think that's just because that might be where my own personal taste skews. Right. Uh, well, that's again, that's but, why we don't talk about this ahead of time. Exactly. We don't so, define the parameters together. We hmm. want to come at this from different angles. Hmm. So, um, I also would like to point out that aside from yeah, maybe two or three headshots, just a couple of movies that I don't feel comfortable making a top ten list without, uh -huh. um, there are quite a few horror classics, including some of my favorite movies, that are not on my top ten. Partially because you know them. <laughs> I don't need to recommend them. I think mm. their place in cinematic history is secure. Uh, but also because, I A, I really, really love some horror comedies that don't get as much attention, and uh, B, I want to recommend some movies that, for the canon, mm. here are movies that are not necessarily considered part of the great horror comedy canon, yeah. and I want them to be considered part of the great, so I'm going to get on my get on my soapbox <laughs> and make a few pitches for some movies that aren't necessarily yeah, considered part of the usual uh, list. Yeah, my, my films are, uh, I think, all pretty well known. I didn't choose mm -hmm. anything super obscure. I but like one or two that are relatively yeah, obscure, I, and then three or four that are obscure if you don't know horror. I, I did choose... Now, we're, we're delving into a genre that is something I, like, grew up adoring. Sure. Uh, it's, it's very important just to me personally. I liked mm -hmm. horror and comedy and put them together, and I'm great. So a lot of the films on my list are just personal favorites of mine this sure. time around. Uh, I, I While I appreciate the people who can make these top ten lists for the sake of posterity, mm -hmm. as, as you've pointed out, we don't make we don't make lists for posterity. We try to make lists of recommendations. So right. these are personal favorites of mine that I think other people might enjoy. Yeah, and then of course these are all films that we will get behind, and we highly, highly, highly recommend them. And so, and again, any of these lists, here's here's how it usually works: we come up with an idea, and then I come up with a short list. Mm. Here's everything I think might belong on the list, mm. and then it's like eh, it's usually like around thirty or forty movies, and I whittle it down. There were over a hundred movies <laughs> that I was seriously oh, considering gosh. putting in my yeah, top ten, and narrowing it down was quite the chore. There was yeah, like but... five that were easy, and five where was like, what any of these could go in here. I have two lists here. I can even show William. Oh my like, God, there's my, that, yeah. my, my long list. Well, we have, well, we will give some runners up at the end if you're looking for even more recommendations, but mm. let's just jump right in because these episodes tend to run long. Mm. Uh, Whitney, why don't you start with whatever right. you arbitrarily want to start with as your um, number 10? I'm going to start number 10 uh, because it's a tie. I'm going to start with the, my double. I've got a couple up. of ties um, too. Yeah. Uh, this is, um, there were uh, three films in Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy. Mm. Uh, the second one is an action picture that is not a horror comedy at all, but the other two kind of are. That's Shaun of the Dead and The World's End. I'm glad you picked those because those were like the big famous ones that didn't end up on mine. Okay, yeah, I wanted yeah. to start with, this is sort of a ringer, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, because Shaun of the Dead beat came out, uh, wasn't a huge hit, but it got a cult following like almost immediately, and it became a big hit like on mm. home video. Uh, and... Yeah, it was the first film that really kind of announced Edgar Wright to the world, at least not for those of uh, the nerd community who weren't getting bootleg DVDs of Spaced. Yeah, and in fact, Shaun of the Dead is mm. in some respects kind of a remake of an episode of Spaced where they mm. had done some of the same gags. Um, um, some people are even calling it the Spaced movie at the time just because it was a lot of the same crew. A lot of the same crew, a lot of the same humor, a lot mm. of the same cast, some of the same story elements. Mm. Um, Shaun of the Dead in particular is 
damn near perfect. And I love this movie. <laughs> and the only reason it put on my list is because I figured, A, you probably would, and B, okay. everyone's heard of it. Yeah, everyone's heard of Shaun of the Dead. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the premise, it's about a, a fellow named Shaun, played by uh, Simon Pegg. And the world has been overrun by zombies, and he doesn't notice. And the, the opening scenes where he's just sort of, like, shiftlessly going to a, a job he doesn't care about, mm-hmm. well zombies are wandering around his town and he doesn't really seem to notice or some of the best in the movie, I yeah. think. Where, wouldn't it be like that? You're so disconnected from the world that there could be a zombie outbreak for all you yeah. know. He slips in a pool of blood and just doesn't even look at it. Go, oh, yeah. Almost fell. Ah, damn it. <laughs> and uh, the joke of the movie is this guy who isn't even paying attention has to become a hero over the course of the film. And he does do some heroic things, mm-hmm. but he's he never really breaks free from being a complete layabout. And yeah. the ultimate drama of the film is... Is he going to be able to grow up enough to impress the woman he's been dating? Yeah, he's in a state of arrested development, like mm. a lot of people in their 20s. Um, he hasn't really accepted a lot of personal responsibility for his mm, life. Yeah, yeah. And he actually makes a list at the beginning of the movie of everything he needs to do to get his shit together and be an adult. And because of the machinations of the zombie apocalypse, he ends up having to do them all in one day. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I think makes Shaun of the Dead not just funny, but really great, mm. is that it has... it's desperately in love with the zombie movie genre. There are tons of references everywhere, and even if you don't get them all, they're all funny. Yeah. Because they're all incorporated into the story really well. Um, but it's actually about something. And I think a lot of the best zombie movies are about something. And yeah. this they're and using zombies as a metaphor. And so the idea of using zombies as a metaphor for I have finally have lit a fire under my butt and I'm trying to get my shit together mm. is something that's kind of wholesome in an adorable <laughs> way. And uh, it, while it also, also being a... shockingly violent and very sad a lot of the time. There and it was it was part of a, a larger genre of this sort of arre- arrested uh, late twenties male that I think was you might say Kevin Smith kicked it off in that particular era but it's mm-hmm. been with us this entire time of sure. uh, men who are in the late twenties or early thirties who are still arrested they can't get their, their yeah. shit together and yeah Judd Apatow turned mm-hmm. that into a cash cow in particular later I, on but yeah I, I feel like there is a certain sadness to that because at the end of Shaun of the Dead you feel like things are, have turned out okay but then you go to the world's end. Mm-hmm. And you realize mm, it doesn't work that cleanly. You don't just get to have a good day and you're grown up. Uh, it turns out that that arrested development can continue to be arrested well into your adulthood. Because uh, well, The World's End was made several years later. Simon Pegg is playing essentially a similar character, just now much older. He's in his late mm-hmm. 30s now. And he gets his friends together to recreate the best night of his life, which was when he was 17. And they had a giant pub crawl. A giant pub crawl across his town, and he wants to do the same thing. Let's just get really bombed, have a great time, and things will be great again for one night. He's driving the same car. He's listening to the exact same mixtape that he's been listening to. He dresses the same. And I think that one really puts a button on that trilogy of films about that arrested development and about how movie genre trappings are kind of the only escape for somebody who is arrested in that mindset. Uh, It's very critical of the Sean character in The World's End, and I think that's why I like it. Uh, Right at the point in the movie when uh, the Simon Pegg character is at his lowest in The World's Mm -hmm. End... He, uh, he's been taking his friends on the pub crawl, but they're all grown up now. They all have spouses. They all have professional jobs. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, they're recovering alcoholics. Like they, They've gone through their drama, and now they're grown up, and he's not. Yeah. And they, uh, one of his friends finally confronts him about how he's a layabout, and he needs to grow up. He goes into the bathroom to sort of feel sorry for himself. And at that point in the movie, I feel like we move into his fantasy. We, because, we do or uh, we don't. You can look at it both ways. Uh, well, I mean... Uh, this, this is an interpretation of mine. Yeah. 
He because you can what, literally you can look what, at what yeah before. either either robots literally begin attacking the town or he feels the only way to win his friends back is to put himself as a hero in a robot attack movie. Well, it's also the robots are, are clearly representing like. Mm. The world Conform- growing because up. Because they, they look like yeah. the people around him. Yeah, like yeah. a lot of the pubs that he went to are now they're like... Gentrified. They're, yeah, they're yeah. like taken over by major chains or whatever like that. And the people in his community are no longer very interesting. And on the outside, we look at that and it's like, oh, people grew up. Mm. And But to this guy, no, they've it been taken over like by corruption. sinister robots. Yeah, yeah. And the only way to... And he, you can look at it as he's trying to preserve his ego by saying he's like the last great hero in a world that's gone where adulthood is a, is an epidemic of mass proportions <laughs> well, or there are literally robots. Uh, I think they're having their cake and eating it too. Yeah, I well, think I was both say things it, are it, happening, it, it, but it's clearly it a, an allegory more mm. than it is a, a dream. We, but we, yeah, we get to have it both ways. We get to see you know, adulthood as something you need to, uh, step up to but also as this encroaching evil thing that is robbing you of what you consider to be your individuality right I feel like the movie Ghost World is also about that yeah but Um, it doesn't have robots so it's not as good (laughs) I love Ghost World I love I love Ghost World more would you love it more if there were robots no 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 what I think what if there were literal ghosts if, if Ghost World had a little, if there was a scene with like a ghost, like Terry yeah. Zweigoff could do that. But they'd be sitting on a bus bench talking about how much things suck. <laughs> that that would be the ghost in Ghost World. Hey, oh hey, ghost. Yeah, things suck. I'm glad I'm dead. Okay, bye. <laughs> That's the ghost in Ghost World. Uh, but I love both of these movies. I know The World's End isn't as as celebrated as Shaun of the Dead, mm. but I think they're at least equally good. And no, I, they I would, belong I, together. I, appreciate, I would appreciate if people go back and revisit that one and yeah. see how it really kind of ties those three films together. In I kind feel of like it's respected, way. but not like quoted very often. Yeah, it just has become yeah. part of the lexicon. But you're right. It's an excellent mm. movie. And I'm glad you mentioned it because I probably would have only put Shaun of the Dead on mm. mine. Uh, for my uh, number 10 recommendation, I, I like to reserve like my first recommendation or like the last one on the list, if you want to call it. For a movie that I'm, I'm really going to bat for. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's a film that I really love. I think this is an incredibly charming, funny horror comedy that barely got released. Hardly anybody saw it. But mm-hmm. every single time I introduce somebody to this movie, they're like, this was great. Thank you for this. Mm-hmm. Uh and I will set it up by talking about the most recent time I was able to watch this with someone. I was with my uh, partner, M. Lapis da Silva, and they were looking for something. And if memory serves, what they specifically said was, is, is there any kind of movie that's like Clueless but with vampires? And Aww. I was like, there was very specifically Academy. a movie. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, no. Okay. No, no, no. Not Vampire Academy. No, no. That's a cute movie. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Mark Waters' Vampire Academy is quite good. And it's on my yeah. long list. But uh, yeah. You want to you know what movie is more like Clueless but with vampires? Amy Heckerling's Vamps, starring Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> I haven't seen Vamps. Okay. I've seen Vampire Academy. Vampire Academy is cute. It's a little... A little too, too myth-heavy, but it, yeah. It's really myth-heavy, and if it would just focus on the characters, it would have been really a lot stronger, because the cast is really good, mm. and I like the movie a lot. <laughs> Vamps came and went in 2012. Barely got released. Nobody talked about it. And that's a shame, because it's great. Uh, it stars Alicia Silverstone and Kristen Ritter as vampires who are roommates in contemporary New York. Mm. Um, they uh, they don't let that get in their way, though. And they actually, mo- uh, they only eat humans, they only eat rats. There's a very, very funny bit where you find out that their their main gig to make money is they're exterminators, but they're just eating all the rats. <laughs> and they're like, just they're just yeah. having lunch. And like, normally you'd see people like just drinking a Diet Coke or whatever, yeah. but they're just putting straws in rats and then just... 
chat, chatting uh, about their love lives. Oh, God. It's so damn cute. Oh. Uh, Alicia Silverstone's been a vampire for about 100 years. Kristen Ritter's only been a vampire for about 20. Uh, and uh, Lisa Silverstone has never told Kristen Ritter how old she is because she's a little embarrassed because Kristen Ritter thinks she's young and cool. Uh, so there's a little bit of a little bit of of uh, of, of conflict in the relationship. Uh, their master, their sire, if you will, is played by Sigourney Weaver, who has never been funnier. Uh, she is just <laughs> oh, she, Sigourney Weaver is hilarious. She is hilarious, but she's, she's never she's been, been funnier in several comedy films. Did you ever see the the TV set? No, I didn't TV see TV executive. She's hilarious. I didn't see that one, so maybe right. maybe she's funnier in that one. But uh, I, you know, I love her in Galaxy Quest. I loved her in Working Girl. Uh, this is maybe my favorite Sigourney Weaver because she's just having a ball here. Uh, the real drama. There's two real bits of drama. One, the modern world is approaching, and a lot of vampires who've been living off the grid can no longer do so. And the IRS is coming for them, <laughs> so, so they've got to find <laughs> a way. Audited. They've got to find a way to like figure this out, and they can't. The only problem is. The only time they can talk to the IRS is during the day. <laughs> so they can't. Oh, that's funny. It's really, really okay. funny. The other gag is that Kristen Ritter has started dating a hunky guy at her night school, the only school she can go to, mm-hmm. played by, before anyone knew who he was, Dan Stevens. Oh, Dan Stevens. But here's the, here's the problem. Hmm. His dad is Van Helsing, played by oh, God. Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn is Van Helsing. Wallace Shawn is who, Van Helsing. Wallace Shawn, who's also in Clueless. Also in Clueless. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie thinks out all the little details. It's just full of great, thoughtful vampire gags. It's very, very sweet. It's actually very genuine. The ending is actually very sad in like a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it's got genuine like heart to it. Um, it's a little cheap, and you can tell that they made it on the cheap, but mm-hmm. that doesn't stop it from being wonderful. Um, I highly recommend this movie. This is a great horror comedy. People can feel like they've seen every horror comedy because no, you probably haven't seen Vamps because mm-hmm. hardly anyone did. Um, charming as hell. Amy Heckerling just absolutely on point. As funny as Clueless oh. for me. Uh, please go see it. It's great. Okay. What do you got for the next one? Uh, well, speaking of movies that are sweet and have a lot of heart, I'm going to talk about Ted Nicolau's Terror Vision. Uh <laughs> Terrorvision is not sweet. It has no heart. Whatsoever. No, no, that's, that's the gag. That's in, the gag. In, in fact, it's a very cold-hearted film. It's a uh, bitter, is, bitter pill, actually. Yeah, uh, Terrorvision came out. It, it came out in 1986, right in the heart of um, a, a, an entire slew of films across genres that were very critical of uh, suburbia. Uh, the 1980s, if you look at the 1980s, there was this big move back toward conservatism. We talk about the action films being very. Uh, Pro ura, pro military at the time. Yeah, you know, think of films like Commando and Rambo Two, uh, and there were also films that were very critical of the 1950s version of suburbia because the people mm-hmm. who grew up in that era were making the movies now. Mm-hmm. And so, there, was th- there was this idea that like the 1950s suburbia was somehow utopian America. Yeah, it was like the, yeah. the pinnacle of America. The stepfather was about this. The guy mm-hmm. became obsessed with that idea of what mm-hmm. suburban life was, and every time it failed him, he killed his whole family and yeah, found a new and, one. Yeah. But in that's, the, not a, that's not a funny movie. It's just terrifying. Uh, but the message was uh, this kind of comfortable consumption of home life, uh, surrounding yourself with a lot of entertainment and things was going to be the ultimate, uh, the ultimate way to live. Mm-hmm. And Terrorvision uh, says, well, all of these things you're putting around yourself and the way you're placating yourself with TV shows all the time and consuming all of these things in this yuppie culture that is just coming up. Well, what if a slime monster from outer space? Oh, yeah. Uh, gets into that TV and starts invading your mind uh, and starts invading your home and starts taking over your body. A slime monster from outer space is beamed into 
uh, like like Star Trek style, beamed into a, a cable TV station, and this one home full of weirdos and freaks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they don't they don't resemble real humans. That my 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 theory on because te- I watched Terror Vision after you recommended it to me mm. years ago, and it's great. I love this movie. Um, but it doesn't take place in a recognizable reality. Yeah. I kept expecting to find out that like the movie we were watching was like a movie within a movie and we were going to like, this is the show. Because it feels like that. Yeah. But it feels like this is what's going on across the street from Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah, it's the it's same very neighborhood. Arch. If yeah. if if Pee Wee's Playhouse had neighbors that were horrible, uh, horrible people and they were also swingers and yeah. had access to cocaine, like yeah. that, that's the world of Terror Vision. Uh, and a really good cast. Mary Warnoff is in this movie. Garrett Graham. Garrett Graham is in this movie. Diane John Grise Franklin. is in this movie. Yeah, Diane Franklin, who's always great. Yeah, really, um, really solid. The monster is played by Frank Welker, of course. Because of course. <laughs> because he because he had it. He had thirty minutes free on a Thursday. Mm. He can just do the voice. Uh, uh, but but yeah, and there's various things going on. Uh, the parents are trying to have a swingers party. Uh, which kind of grosses out, but is also just kind of part of the kid's life. Yeah, mom and dad are at it again. They're yeah, bringing mom, over people. We should probably stay in our rooms. Yeah, yeah. And, and the way this house is laid out is completely bizarre because you go in through one door and there's a, like a whole indoor gym with a swimming yeah. pool in it. It's like, where did where did that yeah. come? Like, there's, it's this Geography weird sort of is an afterthought. nightmarish dream, dream world of a house. Uh, Grandpa no, kind of figures out what's going on, but his only response is, I need to snap back to World War II. So he's also kind of drawing on movie and entertainment tropes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to compare Terrorvision to Breathless for a minute. Oh, uh, please do. Jean-Luc Godard's <laughs> Breathless Christ. took place in a world where people were informed by the films they watched, right? Their behavior was emulating people like uh, people from classic 1940s cinema. Uh, characters like you know Humphrey Bogart who the Jean-Paul Belmondo character is very clearly emulating himself on. Fast forward a generation, and you have people who are raised on nothing but media to the point where there's not really a real world left for them to catch on to. They're just building off of more and more media. So this is a world where people live with only movies in their head. Hence, when they are... When they're presented with a threat, A, it's a movie threat. It's a, mm. a monster from outer space. Right. And their responses are movie responses. None of them have any kind of real emotional core. They are uh, callow, empty human beings. And I think that's there's something kind of brilliant to that. That we're making this horror movie about an invasion of television, but it's also about how television's kind of warped us. Yeah. Uh, how how we, we only see media when we see the world. And there were other shows that dealt with this as well. Dream On is another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dream On is about a fellow who, uh, whenever he has clips He was raised by television. His, his parents were absentee TV, parents, so, and he was, yeah. yeah. His parents put him in front of the TV. So whenever in, in the show he uh, encounters something that's unusual to him, a clip from television will play in his head. We get to see that yeah. on the screen. That's what he has instead of actual yeah. childhood memories. And uh, the pure, more positive version of this is Croti Robot and Tom Servo. Who have sure. nothing but media in their head. They have no childhood. They're robots. Mm. Uh, this is flesh robots raised on TV being attacked by a TV monster using TV responses. You know, like Jean-Luc it's... Godard's Breathless. Exactly. <laughs> if, if Jean-Luc Godard had made a monster movie, for, first of all, it wouldn't have been as wild and as colorful as this. No, but, no, probably wouldn't. But it would have been... I saw his sci-fi movie. It's, frankly, a little uh, impenetrable. Uh, uh, Alphaville is, is a... It's a uh, that's, that's kind of like his turning point, I think. Like before yeah. that, he was interesting. After that, he became a little too thick. Uh, but you can you can see Jean Luc Godard using a movie monster 
as a, a metaphor for media. Sure. And I, I feel like that's what's going on with Terror Vision. Yeah. I'd put it next to something like Videodrome. Sure. Uh, I like Terror Vision a lot. I, I know I'm, I, think I might, I might be overselling it a little bit here, but I do like Terror Vision. It's, listen, I think, you're, I think you might be overselling its depth. <laughs> well, you watch, but it's, I think, you watch I, it and it's silly, no, but there is something going on I'm not here. saying there isn't something going on, but I don't think when you go to Terror Vision, the depth is... Like, I don't know, it's it's like the parsley on the plate. You know, it's like, we're glad it's there, but it's not why we came to the restaurant. We came to the restaurant to see Mary Warrenoff and Garrett Graham be super fucking weird. Mm. And we came to see bizarre monster effects mm. in this weird Looney Splo- Tune reality. And exploding head aliens. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, very, very quirky movie. And, and I and, like it a lot. It's, and it's golly, really, really great. And golly, I love that opening theme song. Oh, yeah. It's, it's awesome. by, a, by an art rock rock band called the uh, Fibonacci's. I would have loved, wouldn't, oh god, if we could still use, like, uh, pre-existing music and the Schmodown, uh-huh. I would love, if, like, we ever, like, reteamed again, we could come back as Terror Vision and that could oh, be our that'd music. Be great. That'd be great intro music for, like, a live event. Yeah. People just cheering, like, oh, it would have been fucking awesome. Alright, yeah, uh, really well, I'm actually gonna go with, uh, uh, this is another one that I think would be interesting double feature. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with another film that is about sort of superficiality. Okay. Uh, and it is also a scathing critique of the 80s, except it was made about 10 years later. I'm going to go with American Psycho. Is that a comedy film? Yes. Okay. I'm going to, I, I'm I, going to, I love American Psycho, yeah. but I didn't put it on my list because I'm, I'm not sure if it's... It counts I, as satire for sure, but I'm yes. not sure if it counts as a comedy. I think satire and comedy are mostly interlinked um but in any case american psycho is the kind of movie that you can look at as a straight-up horror movie Mm. however i'm pretty sure the filmmakers made it as a comedy there's a Mm. definite sense of uh um satire i guess the best way to put it where they're really not just showing you christian bale going mad and killing people they're showing christian bale suffocating Mm. in the exceptionally shallow world of Wall Street traders, where his only attempt at a personality is to desperately latch on to conspicuous the, consumption, conspicuous yeah. consumption, and the single most popular thing in the media right now. He goes off on like long-winded speeches about the greatness of Huey Lewis and the News. For fuck's sake, that is a great band. They do not demand that monologue. <laughs> they know that that's funny. They know that that's funny. They know the scene where every single one of his business partners are showing off their business card, and you can see the panic slip into Christian Bale as he realizes that his business card might not be the fanciest business card. And the and the joke is the business cards all look the same. Yeah, like you can maybe like the like the, mine, mine one is, is white, one is off white. One yeah, mine, one is bone. Mine, mine is not eggshell, mine is bone. Yeah, yeah one's my, slightly more embossed and like but to him these are everything because this is what he has instead of a personality. Mm. Um it is I think it is a vicious black comedy about yuppieism about yeah, the no. about the 80s and mm. what it was like to only value wealth and success and to the extent that wealth and success isolated you from humanity mm. to the point where his character there's two different interpretations of american psycho that the movie allows mm. uh one is that everything is literally happening he is a very successful young ultra handsome wall street trader uh who is also in his spare time killing people the other option 
is he thinks he's killing people and he's not really. And that's just, but, again, what he has instead of a personality is like a murder. stifled homicidal mania. Yeah, he, he he still has the desire whether or not he's actually doing it is, yeah. is the There's There's some the debate depending on how ambiguous the ending is. Uh, but regardless, what they're saying is that this world is either a place where a homicidal maniac could live and thrive. Mm. And it's also a place where if they did, would protect them. There's a great bit in this movie. There's this hilarious bit where he has killed, brutally murdered in the most elaborate, dropping a chainsaw from like five stories up fashion, two people. And he and it's like a, a disused apartment. And he shows up the next day in like, you know, plastic covered boots mm. and gloves and everything in order to tidy up the mess. And he shows up and it's been tidied. Mm. Because, and the reason why... They're showing the apartment and they're trying to sell it. Mm. And even the landlady who's like sees this guy and he doesn't seem to be interested in the apartment, she like puts it together and she's just like, we took care of it. Yeah. And because <laughs> money is more important than yeah, human the, life. Yeah. And there's something about that level of just the, the absolute hatred, I think. Uh, was it Mary Heron who directed Mary this? Mary Heron directed. I, I confuse Mary Heron and Mary Lambert sometimes. But uh, like Ma just Mary, Mary, Mary but... Heron uh, directed. Yeah. Uh, she also yeah. did um, I Shot Andy Warhol and, yeah. uh, and The Notorious Betty Page. Yeah. Uh, I think she hates this guy in a well, very, very I, violent way. And I think I there's something about uh, that that is that seeps into. You see all of his success and it's always undermined mm -hmm. by... God, I hate this guy. and he's But he's very, very funny because no matter how successful he is, he's a loser. Yeah, the... Um, it's an incredibly significant uh, Trump era film. Oh, yeah. I actually wrote an essay to that effect for Blumhouse back in the day about how American Psycho is like the Trump era horror movie mm -hmm. in that it is about wealthy people being insulated and brazen crimes being committed in public are overlooked because he's a white, a handsome white male. Yeah, who's rich. Uh, who, a rich white male. Especially, um, yeah. I, I, I think it's important that a woman direct this movie. I agree. Uh, because I think if a man had directed American Psycho, they would have maybe seen... Uh, the humanity in him. Well, maybe not the humanity in him, but at least uh, would have seen the, the, the horror elements in his mind mm. as something a little bit more, I guess, relatable. Yeah, maybe have, would see the humanity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you have a woman looking at this yuppie asshole who is using his wealth and his good looks... To commit murder, you mm. get to see all of these homicidal urgings as just this pathetic male posturing. I, I, and worry, I feel like a male director might not have keyed into that. What, what um, scares the me way. the most is not the idea that they might have found humanity in him, mm. although I think that that's a trap. Mm. What scares me the most is the idea that they would look at what he has done with his life. Mm. His money, his yeah. appearance, his clothes, his as, as trophy a, wife. As a legit achievement. As Well, maybe legit achievement maybe, but as some sort of power fantasy. As though it was something yeah, appealing about it. And the thing about American Psycho is nothing about this is appealing except for maybe the fact that Christian Bale is incredibly handsome in the movie and mm. there's a certain amount of luxuriation over how much he fetishizes his own body. Mm. But beyond that, no, he's got nothing. He's incredibly hollow and empty. Mm. And that's where the movie ultimately leads him, is to an awareness of maybe I'm a killer, maybe I'm not, but I'm very empty. Mm. And for me, there's something... It's a bitter comedy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a bitter and, comedy, and but I do think ultimately it's... by uh, Brett Easton Ellis, and that yeah. was sort of his stock and trade. I think the horror elements of the movie, there's a few bits that are genuinely frightening, obviously, and there's obviously very violent, mm. 
But I think they are also increasingly over the top that we know that we're only supposed to be taking this movie so seriously. Yeah. We're taking it seriously as an allegory for what was going on, but at the same time, the events themselves are ludicrous. Mm. And that, for me, cements it as a bit more of a comedy than some people give it credit for. Okay. So I think it's it definitely belongs on this list, but I can yeah. see your point. Okay. Um, what do you got next? Uh, um, here's a film that's also about male posturing and a man trying to uh, take control of a woman's body. It's Frank Henelotta's Frankenhooker. You know, I've never seen Frankenhooker. Ah, oh, too bad. Um, well, not too bad. You get to watch it at some point. Very true. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Frankenhooker is... Um, well, it's Frank Henenlotter. It's really, <laughs> really wonderfully kooky, isn't it? Frank Henenlotter, who also did the Basket Case movies and yeah. Brain Damage. Uh, he had the uh, 1990 was a big year for him because he did Frankenhooker and Basket Case 2 in the same year. Ooh. Uh, but uh, Frankenhooker is about a young mad scientist, a Frankenstein character, whose uh, wife dies, mm-hmm. or his fiance dies. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and, and this all takes place in like the scuzzy areas of New Jersey and that throws him into sort of this madness, this tizzy and he moves into his lab and he becomes obsessed with uh, recreating her. He has her head and he's going to stitch her together and uh, a big part of the movie is him going into the city and uh, stalking and measuring sex workers mm-hmm. so he can kill them, take them apart and put together essentially his ideal mate. Right, which is kind yeah. of a vestigial bit of uh, uh, the brain that wouldn't die, or I even eyes without a face. Yeah, it's, it's also of, it's yeah. also an element of the man with two brains, the yeah. Steve Martin movie, uh, and of course this is Frank Henenlotter, so it's all like really broad and silly, and there's a lot of slime and monsters. A lot of my movies have slime. <laughs> uh, when he likes slime. I, I mean, he, was I, a, he was a Nickelodeon generation. I, I guess yeah, so, something about watching Double Dare like got under got into my blood, but. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of slime. It's just green oatmeal now. Just uh, pretty much, there's a lot of lot of goop and slime and monsters. I, I just like if if you put a monster in your movie and it makes a joke, you're probably gonna like it. <laughs> it's a low bar. <laughs> no, it's a really low bar. Add some slime, it will make his list of the top ten greatest horror comedies of all time. That's not just why I like Frankenhooker. Although okay. there is a giant brain in a jar that's got an eyeball in it. And that same thing appeared in the movie Psycho Gorman. And mm. I like Psycho Gorman, too. So Oh, I forgot to add Psycho Gorman to my runners-up. <laughs> I'm going to add that right now. Yeah, Psycho Gorman is not on my on my final list, nor is Werewolves Within, but those are two great horror They're a little too from, recent. From this you know? year, yeah. yeah. I want to sit with those for a little bit longer. Yeah, but yeah, those need mm. to be on there. Thank you for making me think of it. Mm. Yeah. Um, but go on. Uh I don't have anything I'll, to contribute to this. Well, yeah, this ultimately the movie's, you know, as you can tell by the premise, this is about a man co-opting his vision of a woman's body. He sees, and this is an issue we have in real life, the way men tend to see, uh, A, all women as mates, and B, all of their mates as things that can provide for them and not relationships with other human beings. So Frank Henenlotter might be giving you some sort of critique about relationships between men and women. More than anything, he's just having fun on the streets of New York having uh, murderers and Frankenhookers wandering around. Um, and ultimately, yes, he does resurrect his mate, and she goes on a killing spree. Mm. Uh, and the actress who plays uh, plays her, um, let me look up her name, Penny Mullen is the actress's name. She, um... Is she good? She's great. Ah, okay. I'm <laughs> trying to help you along a little bit. She, uh... <laughs> 
Like she she plays sort of a normal human at the beginning, and then when she finally like lurches up as as the monster that's been recreated, she like gets to mug and make all kinds of weird faces and shoot lightning out of her boobs. Uh, it's it's a wonderfully trashy movie. It is unbelievably tasteless, but in in a way I like. Mm. There there are tasteless movies that are just sort of repellent, and then there are tasteless movies made by people who you can tell have affection for the things that they're they're putting on camera. You know, right. John Waters and Frank Henenlotter are important in this regard. Uh, and I like Frankie Hooker a lot. I think it's really, really funny. I think it's uh, kooky, weird, dark, and sick, and those are all things I appreciate. Nice. Uh, well, in a roundabout way, I can make a connection here, because uh, you know you got the Franken uh, right. preface, and you know who was in Frankenstein was Boris Karloff. And Boris Karloff was not in this movie, but he was in the play that inspired it. <laughs> wow! All right, I got there. Yeah, there was a that was a backflip. Uh, when you think of horror, surely you think of Frank Capra, because Frank Capra directed one of the great horror comedies of all time, Arsenic and Old Lace. Oh, I didn't put this on my list. I should have. I was trying to make sure because I feel like a lot of people, when they think of horror comedies, they veer more towards the contemporary, mm. because a lot of the early horror comedies are not very good. A lot of it was like, oh, here's here's an off-brand Abbott and Costello when they go to an island with zombies in it, and there's a lot of bad ones. There's also some very good ones. In well, the, the actual well, Abbott and Costellos. Yeah, yeah, well, which yeah. I suspect one of which may have made your list. Maybe. Okay. Uh, but uh, regardless, there are some good ones, but uh, yeah, I feel like people tend to remember the Abbott and Costello, or maybe they'll uh, lump in uh, you know, Bride of Frankenstein, which is a bit more comedic than Frankenstein. Um but for me, I think the piece de resistance is Arsenic and Old Lace. Uh, Arsenic and Old Lace stars Cary Grant as a charming man who is uh, just... Is he just about to get married or does he just get married? He, I think he's about to get married. Yeah, he, he, had, he had actually like written about how marriage is like a dead institution. Like it's, it's, mm. There's no point to it in modern America. But he's just fallen in love and he's getting married to a young woman on Halloween. And he decides to celebrate by telling his two beloved aunts... Mm. Uh, that he has gotten married. And when he gets there, he is shocked to discover that this entire time, his two aunts have been serial killers. Mm. They've been inviting people over but, to their house. They've been poisoned. Bene benevolent serial killers. Oh, sure. Yeah, they, 100%. They, they only invite over uh, old men. Mm -hmm. who, who are bachelors. Uh, who, they're bachelors, and they they have a conversation with them, and they're they're very lonely, and they're very sad, and they feel sorry for these poor old men, so they poison them as a mm. mercy. And uh, the, the bodies are disposed of by uh, Cary Grant's uncle, who is convinced that he is Theodore Roosevelt, and he thinks that he's disposing <laughs> of bodies because of the plague. He, no, he, he thinks he's he's uh, digging locks for the Panama Canal. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's and, and Cary Grant has been living in total obliviousness of this his entire life. And now all of a sudden, he cannot escape it. He, like, tries to, like... Steady himself by sitting down and not realizing he's sitting on a corpse. It's it's so brutal. He like they like live in a fucking graveyard and there's like a pumpkin patch outside. And then and then and then just as he's trying to get his bearings, it turns out he's got a distant relative or a long lost twin or something who shows up and he's like a mass murderer who has had recently a plastic surgery courtesy of Peter Lorre mm. so that he could hide his appearance. And Peter Lorre decided to make him look just like Boris Karloff. <laughs> and Boris Karloff played this character in the play. Mm. He couldn't show up for the movie because he was doing the play. And in fact, this movie was like filmed in like 1941, 1942, but as part of their contract, they couldn't release the movie 
until the play had ended its run on Broadway because it didn't want to compete with itself. All right, makes sense. The play was so successful it didn't get released for like three years. So this movie was just sitting on a shelf. This stone-cold comedy classic was just sitting on a shelf for like three years because people wouldn't stop going to the play because the play was brilliant. Uh, a, a big part of this movie is Cary Grant's freakout. Oh, he's uh, such a good freak out. Now, Cary Grant uh, ordinarily plays very composed character. He can mm-hmm. be very funny and be very broad, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it's rare. He's usually that you a get cool to, cucumber. Yeah, it's it's rare that you get to see him go full bore shaggy from Scooby Doo. <laughs> it's like, oh yes, we've been murdering these people. You've been murdering people. Like watching him freak out is is uh, one of the great pleasures of this movie, and of one course, of the great pleasures of cinema, if you ask yeah. me. <laughs> so he's kind of playing against type a little bit in Arsenic and Old Lace. And yeah, the, he only did. He only did a few, he didn't do a lot of screwball comedies. His most famous one is Bringing Up Baby, which is still pretty dang funny. I think it's got I think it's got some whiskers on it. <laughs> uh. That was an accident. Um, but Bringing Up Baby is about uh, Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant babysitting a leopard. Mm-hmm. So whiskers is funny. But um, but I think Arsenic and Old Lace ages just like fine wine because mm-hmm. it's just so dark and so weird and it's so unlike Frank Capra. To do something this sinister. Like, he's really kind of gleeful in the way he's making a horror movie that is also extremely funny. Um, it's, it's a great farce. It, it is, yeah. And, and uh, Frank Capra was a very optimistic filmmaker, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was very bitter about certain elements of humanity, war in particular. But yeah. um, he, he was usually very upbeat about humanity. And this is about serial killers. And he makes that feel upbeat in a well, weird way. Because you don't hate his aunts no they're actually very like they're they're, they're bad people but they're good aunts they're very kind yeah. they're, they're good aunts that's the thing he focuses on and, and they're they're so convinced that uh, what they're doing is a mercy yeah that when they're so calmly describing it to Cary Grant you feel like Cary Grant is in the wrong yeah it's like no you can't murder people oh yes we can oh yeah yeah they can oh no wait what am I saying <laughs> yeah our, Arsenic Old Lace is is a stone cold classic, yeah. and I'm embarrassed that I didn't put it on my list. Well, at least I thought of it. What do you got next? Uh, well, we'll stick with the '40s, and yes, I did put Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein on my list. It's uh, not on mine. You like this movie more than I do, but I, I'll, I'll tell you about my the one bit of this movie I love more than anything else, maybe in okay. the world. Uh, but I'll let you go first. Uh, this is not just uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. They meet all kinds of monsters in this movie uh, because there's a wax museum and. Uh, mm. Abbott and Costello. First of all, uh, let's stop on Abbott and Costello for a minute. Uh, comedy duo legends. They kind of set up. Uh, they didn't set it up, but they really no, comedy duos before them and... made, made popular a certain kind of comedy dynamic where mm. uh, you know a certain kind of straight man and a certain kind of jokester yeah. uh, being teamed up. Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis would basically rip off this vibe. Well, yeah, yeah, more or less, yeah. and and a lot of comedy duos since yeah. you know the, the snob and the slob essentially. Um, although, Bud Abbott is not. First of all, I want to give credit to Bud Abbott as the straight man mm-hmm. uh, because he was pissed off all the time. He was like on teetering on the brink of rage at Lou <laughs> Costello, and yet they, were, they still managed to sort of express an affection for this guy. Yeah, it's like I'm gonna it's like they had a, a very brotherly vibe. Like I, yeah. I, I don't necessarily like him, but I do love him, so I'm well, gonna keep him around. The thing with Lou Costello, and he yeah. plays you know the the wacky funny one. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he's actually like he's very sweet mm. and it's easy to like him and the other thing I like about him and this is something that I think a lot of like movies with like a wacky dopey character mm. as a comedic lead sometimes forget to do because they want to make them like a lovable loser mm. but they focus so much on loser that they don't make them lovable it's Lou Costello is the funny one right mm. he he's a he's a he's a ladies magnet 
Oh yeah. Like people, yeah. like people love what he's got, mm-hmm. and there's something about that that just confuses the shit out of Costello. <laughs> Is that because? Or, or, and here's out, why: out, 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 out. you're a curmudgeon, oh. and he's nice. Oh. That's why. That's why. So on top of it all, like they, Costello isn't like this annoying person who's preventing this cool person from living their happy life. Mm. They actually have like together they can they create like a whole person basically. It's yeah. nicely divided, yeah. Uh, and what better place to put these guys? The but in essentially the plot of the movie Van Helsing, yeah. Because this is about not just the Frankenstein monster, but using Frankenstein science to uh, help Dracula. And the yeah. and the Wolfman played by Lon Chaney is in there as well. Dracula is played by Bela Lugosi. O- the only other time Lugosi played Dracula outside of Dracula, he, he was in Dracula. They didn't play Dracula again, and they played Dracula here. You would imagine he, they'd have a whole franchise built around Lugosi. They did not. No, These well, are the only two. It's it's because Lugosi didn't want to do that. He saw himself as a much more serious actor. And that was a gigantic mistake. I mean, we, we talk about Bailey Lugosi in the context of Dracula pretty much exclusively these days. Yeah, because he wasn't yeah. in that many other great mm. movies. Um, or if he was, he was there was relatively well, small roles. He's he was, in The Wolfman, but it's a very tiny role. He's yeah. in uh, uh, Island Lost Souls, but he's Son in a small role. Frankenstein? Which Frankenstein sequel? Oh, no, he's in, yeah, he's in Son of Frankenstein. Son of Frankenstein. He plays yeah. Igor. He was the first Igor. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. a great character. And, and his, the plot of Son of Frankenstein was uh, he wanted to use the Frankenstein technology to put his body, like, into put his brain body. into a super Frankenstein body. Yeah, which, and he ends up doing it, actually. Mm-hmm. And the next movie is all about Igor's brain and Frankenstein's body. Yeah. The Frankenstein monster is dead. Mm-hmm. I digress. But uh, the whole thing in this one is uh, Dracula needs a brain... To resurrect Frankenstein's Frankenstein monster. And, of yeah. course, yeah, and he needs a brain... That you know really hasn't been used that much. You so, know, there's a lot so of mileage on it. So, so goes to like, Lu Costello's brain. Yeah, and of course they all end up at the end of the movie. I think it's too long to get here. If you ask me, I think the first third of this movie is kind of slow. But well, it, it's all the comedy stuff in the first third. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. but the comedy stuff isn't really the monster stuff. Get to the monster stuff oh, is what okay. I want. But once it gets going, it's great. And uh, and that's the only reason I kept it off my list. I think the first half is a little slow. But mm. uh, once they're all like just running around a castle. Uh-huh. Like pressing buttons, accidentally entering secret rooms, sitting in chairs, not realizing you're sitting on the Frankenstein monster, <laughs> all that kind of oh, stuff. The, the stuff that yeah. Scooby Doo would liberally rip off. Yeah, it builds to the maybe the single funniest image I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, tell me. <laughs> Dracula is running from the Wolfman. The Wolfman mm. is fully wolfed out, and he's chasing Dracula around the castle. Meanwhile, Bud Abbott and Luke Costello and the Frankenstein monster are doing their whole other shtick. And these two storylines just keep, like, intersecting. They keep running into a room where Dracula's fighting the Wolfman or vice versa. There's one moment when Dracula's fighting the Wolfman, where Dracula has been chased by the Wolfman so much, Dracula's out of ideas. He takes off his shoe and he throws it at the Wolfman. (laughs) That's right. That's the single funniest thing. It's Dracula throwing his shoe at the, at the wolf Wolfman. Man. I don't know who came up with. I don't know if that was in the script. I don't know what. <laughs> that is the sing- I don't know if he did. I don't care. That is the single funniest thing that has maybe yeah. ever happened. Is Dracula throwing his shoe at the Wolfman? I will yeah. never not laugh at that. And even though I'm not the biggest fan of that movie, this is the reason why I'm totally okay with people calling this a comedy classic. It's because that is genius. <laughs> that bit and, right uh, there is funnier than anything else in almost any other movie we're talking about. Oh, and, and there is the uh, cameo by one other monster. Oh, yeah. Uh, and a cameo by a notable actor right at the end of this movie when they think that they've dispatched all the monsters and Bud, Bud Abbott and Luke Costello have gotten away. They're sitting in a boat. Yeah. And it's like they floated away from all of the action. 
It's like, ah, oh, thank goodness we've uh, we've solved it. And then we hear we've Vincent Price. <laughs> Vincent Price's Vincent voice. Vincent Price's voice. We don't see him. We hear Vincent Price's voice saying, ah, yes, but you forgot about me. I'm the invisible man. We see like a floating cigarette in yeah. the boat with them. And they freak out. That And that's the coda of the it's, movie. It's, 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 it's funny stuff. Uh, yeah, Vin- Vincent Price... I guess he would, I guess he was free that afternoon. He's <laughs> gotten to a, a voice he recording played, booth. He, he played the Invisible Man once before, didn't he? He was in an Invisible Man. It was movie. like the Invisible Agent or something. Uh, yeah, which like, is they, one of the sequels. He was in the Invisible Man Returns uh, in okay. 1940. All right, not crazy. All right, well, for my uh, next pick, I'm going to pick another monster mash because I think uh, combining monsters is always funny. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to pick a film that this is maybe my favorite movie franchise that nobody talks about. Hmm. Uh, there are only two of them, but they're both great. Waxwork and oh. Waxwork 2. Oh, man. These are really fun. Wax The Waxwork movies are great. These I don't know why these movies aren't more popular. Were they hard to find for a while? I don't know. Uh, Waxwork, the first Waxwork, uh, it stars Zach Galligan from uh, Gremlins. Hmm. Him and a bunch of his teenage friends uh, go to a mysterious... Uh, it's a wax museum. It's a wax museum. Yeah, you go to a wax museum. It's run by the deliciously evil David Warner. Uh, and uh, every time, and it's, it's one of those gruesome wax museums. It's not like, oh, here's Tom Cruise. Like, no, it's, oh, here's the Marquis de Sade doing what he does. Here's the That's Wolfman funny. eating people, etc. But every time, and because they're raucous kids, they don't follow the rules. Every time they step into the diorama, they are transported into that story. Yeah. Yeah. And now they're trapped it's, with the Marquis de Sade, or they're good, trapped good, with the Wolfman. It's a good premise for an anthology film, yeah. but all of the stories connect because it's like yeah. a slasher essentially. And they they're lose all trying to, one of their party every time uh, they go. They're trying to get back things. to one another. They jump from story to story. It's really, really fun. The first one is really, really good. The second one is where it goes completely insane. And I love the <laughs> premise for this setup for this. This is a brilliant way to start a horror sequel because the thing is, at the end of Waxwork, a lot of people are dead. Mm-hmm. And they have some explaining to do. And unfortunately, in a court of law, they cannot prove that the Waxwork Museum was magic. So no one fucking (laughs) believes them. And so they have to find evidence that it really happened, which forces them to actually go back and get in some shit again. Mm. Clever idea. The problem is, is that they end up getting trapped not in the Waxwork shit, but in what the movie will eventually call God's Nintendo. And the idea is that all of these like incredible, like horrifying, fantastical genre stories uh, are all kind of taking place for God's amusement, and they end up just trapped in one genre film after another. Mm. Uh, the, the, the subtitle of the movie is "Through the Portal of Time." Uh, it's, I think it's just no. That's that's beastmaster. It's lost in time. Lost in time. Close enough. Last were two lost in time. They uh, they end up uh, the the various people who who wander in. They end up one is in this incredibly elaborate sci fi uh, knockoff of Alien. Great monster effects in it. Very funny. Uh, and, and and Zach Galligan ends up in black and white in a you know oh there's a mysterious house that's been haunted for forever. Well, us this team of scientists will prove that there are no ghosts. Led by Bruce Campbell. And Bruce Campbell endures the most unspeakable tortures. <laughs> it's just so horrible, all the things that happened to Bruce Campbell in and, this and, movie. And it's but, hilarious. But in a comedic way. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, he's, he's, he's stri- oh, no, they ripped all the flesh off my chest. No, don't spill that vodka on me. <laughs> no, it's, it's a bottle of vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, oh man, this hurts a he's lot. Like, okay, what am I going to do with this tray full of salt? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's, oh golly, it's funny. 
and, it's really crazy. and there's cameos from all kinds of actors in that one like they're, they're really yeah. trying to give a lot of uh, a lot of homage to just all of the films that everybody loves it's like joe dante in a lot of ways yeah um, if you watch the original gremlins there's you know chuck jones is in gremlins and there's mm. a, a really funny reference to the movie the time machine in gremlins yeah the time machine is real yeah, uh, this one's got this one's got a little bit of everyone. Drew Barrymore has a cameo in this. Uh, you've got uh, P- uh, Patrick McNee was in the original is in this. John Ireland is in this. David Carradine is in this. Marina Sirtis is in this before mm. she was. Well, you know she actually was already in Trek. By she this was point. in Trek, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's just a really really fun couple of movies. Waxwork Two was for some baffling reason only released in like streets of video in America, so it totally flew everyone by. But they're both great. They're actually, great double features. I saw the second one first. Same. <laughs> this is one of those things where yeah. I. I picked it up for like a Halloween party when I was a teenager. Yeah, it's, it's like, like oh, this is a fun one. We don't know what it is. A, we'll watch. A couple of movies that didn't make my list but came close were the uh, House movies from the 1980s. House and yeah, House 2, yeah. The Second Story. Those are very, very fun, funny, haunting movies. And I'd seen House 2 like many times before I saw House 1. Yeah. And I'd heard that House 2 was the good one. House 1 kicks ass. House 1's really funny. Well, House 2 is like the crazy one. That's yeah. the one with the, the zombie cowboy and the little yeah. caterpillar thing. And like and each room is a portal to yeah. a different horrible place. Yeah. But like, you know, first, first House is really, really good. With yeah. um, it's a William Cat from uh, Grace American Hero. Um, yes. Yeah, that, that movie is really, really good. They're, those are both really fun. Yeah. Those, are like, those are my runners up. But anyway, let's move right. on. What do you got next? Um, well, let's see. What can I do? Uh, speaking of, you were talk, talking of waxwork. Waxwork is about dioramas. It's about show. It's about the sideshow. And uh-huh. um, I have a show about uh, a film that is about the sideshow. It's Alex Winter's Freet, which is okay. maybe one of my favorite movies. And you I, probably saw this as coming. I wasn't thinking of this as a horror comedy, but I'm not going to take it away from you. Okay. Yeah. I, I, th- I, for for one, me, this is more just a, just a gross out comedy, but I can see it, it. It's a little bit more of a straight up comedy. There's not a lot of horror elements, but it's full of monsters. It does so, have a lot of monsters. Um, I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you I'll yeah. let it go. I'll let okay. it go. It's, I, I wouldn't have put it on there. It didn't make my list for that reason. But you let me have American Psycho. Let you have this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, F- Freaked um, is kind of like Terrorvision. Takes place in this wild cartoon world of horrible people. Uh, Alex Winter, who wrote and directed, uh, plays a, a character named Ricky Coogan. He's a former child star who has to go to a southern, a South American nation to hawk toxic fertilizer chemicals. <laughs> He'll sell. He'll he'll uh, he'll hawk anything. He'll, he'll like, hawk, do any yeah. commercial, just because he needs the money. Uh, even though it's very, Will, William Sadler is the one who's convincing him to do this. So you know that this is going to be bad because William Sadler is playing such a wonderful villain. Mm-hmm. And he gets in a car, gets on the road, decides to stop at a a freak emporium, yeah. a circus side a roadside show, attraction. a roadside attraction in the middle of the jungle, which is run by a character named Elijah C. Skuggs, played by Randy Quaid, who's been using that fertilizer to mutate tourists who wander to this show and turn them into featured attractions. Yeah. The makeup effects are some you'll, some of the best you'll see in any movie. They're just incredibly elaborate and strange mm. and funny and they're great. They, yeah, they, 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 put, it's, they, they deserve to be, in a, as much as I love Freaks, they deserve to be in a better movie. Uh, <laughs> it's a very silly <laughs> film and you put some yeah. of the most amazing makeup effects in it. Yeah, um, it's so weird. Uh, they, uh, Alex Winter's character, like half of his body gets mutated into this giant green reptilian looking monster thing. And yeah, like, but the other like, half, the other half is normal, but the other half is like three times bigger than the other half. Yeah, so, so they, it's they a kind of like grow out thing. his head. They, they put yeah. this appliance in his teeth. So his mouth is always open. Uh, he's drooling and that's real drool because yeah. he can't close his mouth. Like, why did he agree to do that? He, he made he, the movie. I want to see footage of him directing in that getup. Yeah, like behind was, the camera, yeah. just like, no, no, <laughs> let's, 
let's uh, let's use a different lens. <laughs> <laughs> Max Steinoff, give me a little more, a little, little more passion, could you? What? Uh, and and yes, there's uh, all kinds of wonderful uh, wonderful creatures that have been created for this. There's a worm man. There's a man who has a nose for a head. Bobcat uh, Goldthwait plays a sock puppet for a head. A guy with a sock puppet for a head. And the and the absolute mm. best bit is it a hammer that used to be a wrench, or it's is a, it a wrench that used to be a hammer? It's a hammer that used to be a wrench. Everyone's going around in a circle telling about how they met Elijah Skuggs and how they became a, a monster, mm. and then it flashes over mm. to a wrench. And then we see the flashback from the wrench, mm. and it's Randy Quaid buying a hammer at a store and cackling no, maniacally. He's, he's buying a wrench, and he puts oh, he's it on. the wrench. <laughs> and, then, and then we just see that there's a hammer cuts on a back chair, to the hammer, and, and everyone's, everyone's crying. <laughs> what a sad story. You poor son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, there's a wonderful cameo from Keanu Reeves as Ortiz the dog boy. Yeah, he's great. And, uh, and yes, it, it is just broad, silly slapstick comedy of the highest caliber. Yeah, it's... Like, it's go okay. for broke comedy. Yeah, you, you, just, can't, you can't sneak out as milkmen. Look, 12 milkmen is theoretically possible, but 13 is silly. Go away. And they start having a knife fight over who's going who's gonna to escape disguised as milkmen. And they're and literally they're, all dressed as milkmen. Yeah, they're having a knife and fight. It, and then and we get to the Randy see... Quaid like, looking at the mirror. That's a lot of milkmen on the same route. No wonder they fight. <laughs> <laughs> Golly, it's funny. It's uh, so yeah. It, it comes from a kind of madcap uh, style of, of media that was really uh, hot on MTV. And indeed, yeah. uh, Alex Winter was given this movie on the merits of a sketch comedy show he had on MTV called The Idiot Box, which oh, yeah. we've been trying to ca- track down for Cancel Too Soon, but it's nowhere to be found. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it kind of contributed to um, that MTV style, that sort of like quick cutting, a lot of like aggressive humor. It's a very aggressive movie. There's a lot of screaming and hitting, uh, people being thrown through plate glass windows. You know, it's it's kind of it's not quite mean spirited. I think it actually is having a good deal of fun. But yeah, there's a lot of aggression and something like freaked. Yeah, um, I, I could go on and on about freaked yeah. and little details throughout. But yeah, it's, see it. It's very funny. Even if it's yeah. not your style of humor. Even, no, there's, there's some the gross monster, shit in here, and the there's some bits effect. that have an age have aged better than others. Yeah, but, like it's still it, really it, good. It, it, the jokes are a product of its time, sadly, in, in yeah, certain but cases. But it's mostly funny. It's mostly very, very It mostly very holds up, and uh, yeah, if, if you're into sort of the wacky stuff, it's definitely up your alley. And if you're not, you you just enjoy the special effects in this movie, because it's yeah. wall-to-wall, just creature effects. Uh, well, for my next pick, I'm going to pick a film that is also... Freaked is a little bit of a satire of uh, celebrities. It's taking like this has-been celebrity and taking them down a peg. Yeah, a peg. Yeah. And well, my next pick is a film that is actually trying to turn uh, a monster into a celebrity rather than vice versa. And it is behind the mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Yeah, I haven't seen this one. This, this is, you yeah. would like this movie a lot, I'll bet. I really do love this movie. This is a movie from 2006 directed by Scott Glosserman. Uh, and it is about... Uh, a college documentary film crew that has decided for their thesis project, they're going to follow around. You may remember the film Man Bites Dog. It's a French mockumentary about a documentary crew following around a realistic serial killer. Uh, This is that, except this college crew is following around a slasher movie villain. Mm. So what we're seeing is... He has to set up slasher movie scenes. Yeah. So what we're seeing is everything that we don't see Michael Myers doing. Hmm. So, for example, there's a whole bit where, okay, well, I know everyone's going to end up in this house. 
So we have to set up the house. So I'm going to saw part way through this tree branch in case they try to jump out the window. Right, right. I'm putting o- I'm putting mostly dead batteries in all the flashlights. <laughs> and uh, to, you get to this, make sure the slasher yeah. scene goes well. And you're seeing this guy, and he's very charming. <laughs> That's the thing. He's very very charming, and he is basically trying to set himself up as the next Jason Voorhees, mm. the next Michael Myers. He's actually got like. An old uh, uh, a mentor who used to be one of the famous slashers. They won't say who. It's implied it's Michael Myers. And the and the gag is is that he married the final girl. <laughs> they <laughs> got together. Oh, that's um, cute. There's this wonderful bit where uh, Robert Englund shows up and he's mm-hmm. basically playing the Loomis character, and he gets really really excited. Oh my god! I fit the big leagues. I have a Loomis. <laughs> I have a guy who's desperate to track me down and is obsessed with me. This is the best thing ever. Um, but what I like about it is that it's never entirely loses its moral focus. And the fact the final act is what happens when the documentary crew realizes that we can't actually go through with this. Yeah, that they'd be complicit in all this death. And that's when you realize that maybe the documentary crew were his intended mm-hmm. victims all along. And it actually works out really well. So you get to have your cake and eat it too. You get to have this kind of bizarre, funny, subversive, hero worshipy. You know, here's all the things that would have to actually happen in a slasher for this movie to work. And isn't it kind of silly when you look at it from the mm-hmm. villain's perspective? All the extra work that they have to do to make all these scenes that seem scary mm-hmm. actually work out the way they do. But then at the last third of it is actually a very effective slasher and you get to actually like take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really great. It's really, really fun. He actually is like a rock solid slasher villain if you only saw it from the perspective of his victims, not the documentary. Okay, you would, you would yeah. save yourself. It's well, actually a pretty good horror. You got Robert Englund in it. Zelda <clears throat> Rubenstein's in it. You know, you got like, this is, this is a good film, mm-hmm. but we just flip the perspective. And all of a sudden, it just seems very, very silly. And that's great. I think it's really clever and works. That seems like that would be the trap that it could fall into, where it works well as a satire, but if... Yeah. the Leslie Vernon character isn't a convincing killer, then it, the comedy wouldn't work. Exactly. Well. So it needs to do both ways. If he was just like some dork or whatever, it wouldn't fly. But because they flip it around a bit and the last act takes it, it's still funny, but they're taking mm. it more seriously and the stakes are real and you care about the people who might die. Mm. Um, that's why it works. It's because it, ultimately like his mask, that is a scary mask. His kills, those are mm. fucked up. Like they're actually like, it's a really, 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 really solid, and there's a lot of horror fans who I think know this one, but a lot of like casual horror fans who don't follow the horror genre, this kind of mm. slipped by because it didn't really have a big theatrical release or anything. Um, if you haven't seen it, do not miss this. This movie is really, really great. Um, uh, well, I, that segues nicely into mine because Yay! mine is also a flipped perspective kind of movie. Okay, which only got? instead of the uh, the perspective being flipped from the victims to a serial killer, it's flipped from the victims to the creepy hillbilly guys. And this is oh. T- Tucker and Dale versus evil. I didn't um, put that on. I, I actually forgot to put that on my list. I'm oh, glad you thought okay. Of it. Uh, yeah. Tucker and Dale versus evil is such a hoot. Um, Tucker and Dale are the scary hillbillies in a Texas chainsaw massacre style movie. Uh, where they meet the victims at the gas station and say, Oh, you just have a few miles to go. <laughs> and, they live in a creepy cabin in the woods. But from their perspective, why did they laugh that way in that creepy way? Well, it turns out he was just really shy. And yeah, he he's socially to, awkward. He's trying to talk to a young lady and it's like, well, what you need to do is go up to her and like, make a joke, laugh a little bit. Okay. Um, go a few miles up the road. I'm being helpful. <laughs> 
Oh, did I do it? Did I do okay? Was it, was I, no, it was a little creepy. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Turns out so, the creepy cabin uh, in the woods is actually a fixer-upper that yeah, they've bought. That they've bought. They're actually excited to have this, and they move all their stuff in there. It's like, yeah, oh, we can do all of this. Yeah. Wonderful. We can, and, we can uh, play board games all night. Now, and the victims who go out there, yes, they do die, but as it turns out, Tucker and Dale are just really unlucky and bad things happen around them. Yeah. And so when they think they're convinced because that they are mm. they are classist and they assume that because these guys are look and appear like these typical horror movie, you know, cannibal hillbilly characters, mm. uh, that they must be bad guys. Yeah. And so they assume that they need to kill Tucker and Dale to save their own lives, and every time they try to kill Tucker and Dale, they end up dying. Yeah, like they go like, oh, we have di- like, oh no, Tucker is is throwing people into a wood chipper. He's throwing wood into a wood chipper. He's not doing anything <laughs> he's wrong. Fixing up a house. He needs a wood but he's chipper like, for I water. have to, I have to kill him to save us all. And he jumps accidentally jumps into the wood chipper. Yeah, and Tucker doesn't see that, and all of a sudden everything's covered in red. And he's like, the fuck happened? <laughs> um, this works well because Tucker and Dale are such sweet characters. Yeah, they're played by Alan Tudyk and Tyler Labine, and they're really good Both together. of them are really great. I mean, yeah. I, I love Alan Tudyk in, in anything. He plays the chicken in Moana, and somehow it makes that funny. <laughs> uh, I, I saw Alan Tudyk in an interview. He was like, yeah, I played the chicken in Moana. I just go, buck, buck, buck. Why'd they hire me? They couldn't do anybody. <laughs> just get a chicken noise. Frank Welker's still alive. <laughs> you totally get Frank Welker. Now, who's cheaper, Alan Tudyk or Frank Welker? I, I mean, Frank Welker's a legend, but Alan yeah. Tudyk's Alan Tudyk's the kind of guy who might have character old, actor. I feel like Alan Tudyk might have been in there to record Frozen, which was a real character, and they were just like, hey, you want to play chicken? Like, that's probably what happened. Yeah, you got an extra hour? <laughs> yeah. Just make a few clucking noises. Yeah. You know, we'll pay an extra 10000 Oh, fine. I can cluck for $10,000. But yeah, Tyler Labine and Alan Tudyk are the really uh, the real key to making this work. Also, there's some really sweet relationships between they and some of like the victim characters. Yeah, it takes a lot of the tropes of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Cabin in the Wood type movies and plays with them in a way that horror fans would recognize, but also just play in a good sort of comedy kind of way. I think yeah. a lot of these tropes are really familiar to audiences, even if they haven't seen the Evil Dead movies. Yeah, uh, so it's actually kind of a a, a little fun winking love letter to these kinds of movies. And I like, and I like the fact that it flips the script, the idea of urbanites being afraid of rural people. That's the theme of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That is. And the theme of a lot of movies like wrong turn or deliverance. And the idea that if we leave our comfortable cities, we will discover that people out here living in the woods and the sticks and the sticks, uh, they must do horrible things. They must be morally inferior to us, but maybe like biologically superior because they're stronger and can live in the woods and can set traps and shit. And there's something that's really condescending about that. When you do that more than once, like maybe once you can expose our anxieties Hmm. about, you know, the way people, different people live. But once it becomes like a whole genre, it's, kind of shitty actually if you think about it people who don't live in the city and uh, it, it is trying to exploit sort of this economic anxiety uh, not only that city dwellers have but yeah. just about this country in general you yeah know, that it's it's significant that it's a texas chainsaw massacre and not a, yeah. a san francisco chainsaw massacre yeah exactly so like tucker uh, and the, dale just reverses that and just makes it mm. seem like yeah the idea that we are for no good reason scared of a group of people uh, is inherently stupid, isn't it? And they they make that something that people get punished for. And, and in typical horror fashion, a sin gets punished like in an extremely outsized fashion. Mm. You know, you don't you don't like in the Hitchhiker. 
The guy is literally, I think the first line of the dialogue is, my mom told me never to do this. Yeah. It's not like the hitchhiker makes things socially awkward and then leaves, and he goes, well, I'll never do that again. Mm. No, the hitchhiker is a serial killer, played by Rucker Howard. <laughs> he ruins his life. Like, that's mm. the idea of most horror movies, is that you do something wrong, and you get punished for it way more than anyone could possibly mm. deserve. Because we are full of shame and mm. guilt and have a lot of things that we're wrestling with. And I think Tucker and Dale plays with that in a really fun way. So mm-hmm. I really like this. I'm so glad you remembered it. I don't, I wasn't even on my short list. Oh, I don't yeah. know how I missed it. I just, yeah, I'm this, so glad you thought of it. Th- this was a last minute replacement. I was going to put the silence of the hams on here. Oh, you. I, I love the silence of the hams. It's supremely stupid, but it's mm. my kind of stupid, but that is a spoof movie yeah. of horror movies. And I'm, I think that's a, maybe a little mm. too comedic. There's nothing horrific about it. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a great segue here, mm. so I'm just going to do my other tie. Uh, my other tie is a relatively recent duo of movies that are incredibly witty, reasonably scary, but in like a slumber party way, you're probably not going to lose a lot of sleep over mm-hmm. it. But these might be the two of the best written horror comedies of the last several years. Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You. <laughs> this was on my my, yeah. uh, my list. They're, they're not on my main list, but yeah. They're, again, I didn't want to pick any movies from like this year or last year. I thought that was a little, um, mm. you know, a little too soon. Uh, but I feel like these movies have been out for a little while, and I think it's time to canonize them. I think they're both great. Uh-huh. Happy Death Day uh, is a Groundhog Day slasher movie. Um, it starts with Jessica Roth. Jessica Roth, yeah. Jessica Roth. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it right. Jessica Roth. It could be Roth, but it's R-O-T-H-E. I'm going to say Roth, oh. but I apologize if I'm wrong. But Jessica Roth uh, plays a really superficial just kind of shitty human being she's mm-hmm. a she's a college girl who cares about you know sorority bullshit she's sleeping with one of her teachers she's also like having an affair with another dude and she's just not a nice human being she's no. mean to everybody her roommate hates her uh but- and then one day at the end of like a particularly long day her birthday uh, she is murdered by a guy in a baby mask, and it turns out that that's the school mascot, which, by the way, is a shitty mascot. I understand you wanted to use, like, a baby mask as, like, a birthday metaphor mm. slasher mask, and it's kind of creepy, but what the fuck college has a baby as their mascot? <laughs> it doesn't make any goddamn sense. The fight, but, fighting babies. The one... <laughs> it's the one thing I'll critique about this movie. I think it's, I think it's stupid, but anyway. Um, but she's killed. And then she wakes up at the beginning of the day. And you know Groundhog Day. There's always that first day where it's like, was that all a dream? That I just had deja vu? And she realizes that everything is happening again. But by the end of the day, she's killed by the killer in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, every single day, she dies somehow. And every time she dies, she comes back to life at the beginning of that day. Mm-hmm. And over the course of that, in true Groundhog Day fashion, she becomes a better person. But also she has to find a way out of an extremely terrifying situation. The first Happy Death Day is very, very clever, very, very smart, very, very effective. You know, again, Groundhog Day has become a subgenre in and of itself, but this is probably the best one outside of Groundhog Day, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that show uh, on... um, Netflix that everyone liked. What was the one with the... Uh, oh, Russian Doll? I haven't seen Russian Doll. I heard yeah. that one's really, really yeah. good. Maybe that's as good or better. I don't know. That may be the exception, yeah. but I've seen most of the other ones, and this is definitely okay. the second best. The sequel, however, I think is super underrated. <laughs> I think a lot of people really like the first one. It did very, very well. Hmm. The second one kind of glossed over, but I think it's really interesting. Um, it opens the next day hmm. with another character, and it opens with him going about his business, uh, and he's in his science lab, and he's been like wandering around the first film had a couple of scenes but now we see that in his day 
uh, uh, revolved around his science project, which involves a time machine. <laughs> because of course it does. <laughs> and there's a big explosion, <clears throat> and he ends up being killed by a slasher in a baby mask. Oh. And now it looks like we're going to be following him, but he ends up dragging Jessica Rose's character back into another time loop. Oh. And she's furious about this. But the bigger problem is she's not just in a time loop, she's in an alternate reality. And now oh, she has to live in an alternate reality where the guy she spent an entire movie like living like hundreds of days with getting to know and like falling in love with this guy. Now he's dating her best friend in this other reality. <laughs> so and, and his best friend is nicer than she was in the other reality. So like mm. shit, and I can't even break him up. Um, but uh, and and she has to figure out a way to like fix a time machine. Uh, when you can't like transfer notes over the course of a day, you so every day she, it in your head. every yeah. day she ha- so she basically has to become like a science major in, in over the yeah, course of yeah. this. And what what's really really cool about it though is that it's not. It sounds like it would just be repetitive. A, they think of some fun ways to switch out the story a little bit. Mm. Uh, but B, what the second one does is it actually changes what it's it's all about. Really, it's all about consequence. It's all about. Mm. Uh, uh, learning to put set, the set, set, uh, it's not learning to grow, it's not learning to put things away. In this reality that she ended up in, her mother, who had died years ago in the first movie, mm. her mother's alive in this one. Yeah. So she has to decide whether or not she's even comfortable living leaving that. And there's something about that that actually lets this be continually about character growth, mm. rather than she achieved everything she needed to and this is all kind of pointless, which is the problem with a lot of comedy sequels they're kind of closed well, ended and there's nowhere they, to go uh, anywhere in the second one here. They realize no, we can actually use this to send her character in a different emotional philosophical yeah. direction and it, actually have her transform even more. It, it does undo some of the morals of the first movie. Uh, a lot of these time loop movies uh, tend to have a moral dimension. We are mm. repeating this in order to correct something about our own lives. Yeah. Uh, we, we are using this as an opportunity to this recurrence as an opportunity to improve. There's actually kind of a Buddhist principle going on here. Very Every time so, yeah. we repeat, we have to improve ourselves so we can evolve past it. Yeah. And uh, that's also a big part of uh, the movie Groundhog Day. You know, he's, he's once he lives the day, quote, perfectly, mm-hmm. he's out of the loop, even yeah. though he's been in there hundreds of years. That's not how it works at Happy Death Day to you. She actually has well, to figure out. Well, Happy Death so, well, Day. The first one. The first one, it feels like if, if I figure out like my death and if I improve myself and I become less of a horrible human being mm. then I'll be free and for a while it doesn't look like that's going to happen but then it does yeah because it turns free. out her death and her becoming a better person were more intrinsically linked than she ever thought yeah, yeah and I don't want to ruin the twist for you but like there's more to it than she thought so and it actually it actually connects really well it connects really well but the second movie undoes that and in fact she has a scene where she realizes oh wait there's a time machine here so I was just sort of randomly scooped up by this thing. Mm-hmm. It was completely just a fluke. Well, she thought the and universe was about to... her. And it yeah. actually she realizes now that she's actually a smaller part of a bigger whole. And that mm-hmm. sends her on a different journey, I think. And I think that's what's clever about it. Is <clears throat> she goes through personal growth, but it ultimately, in a way, only kind of feeds her ego. Here she actually has to learn to do things like make personal sacrifices. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think it's a different part okay. of growing up. And I also I'm also really bummed that this really bizarre threequel tease at the end of it may never come <laughs> yeah. to fruition because Happy Death Day to You sadly didn't make money. Uh that pisses me off because that movie's really fun. Uh, but in our head, we can always imagine it. I'm, I'm glad they made a sequel. I'm glad it's as kooky as it is. It's really, really good. I think it's underrated. Anyway, uh, moving on. What's your next one? Uh, let's see. Uh, you, uh, the Adams Family. Uh, no no, uh, no segue. 
Um, the Adams Family and Adams Family Values. Uh, sure, I, I prefer the first, but they're okay. both quite good. I would, um, I would, I'm going to I'm going to recommend we do them both because they're both great. Okay, Adams okay. Family and Adams Family Values. That is the the two Barry Sonnenfeld films from '91 mm-hmm. and '93, respectively. Um, the Adams Family are horror movie monsters. Yeah, they live in a haunted mansion. They murder people. That's important. It is. And it's it's more to... so than the show. I feel like the show isn't really a horror show. It's just kind of like a dark comedy kind it's, of thing. It's a horror show for little kids. It's a I haunted guess. house show. But I feel like the Sonnenfeld movies are much more in the realm of horror comedy, like mm. distinctly. And I feel like the Sonnenfeld films took a lot of the spirit uh, from the original Charles Adams comic strips. Yeah. Where the Adams family came from. The, the original family didn't have a name. They were just a family of ghouls that he was yeah. constantly writing about. And his name is Charles Adams, so they called it the Adams Family. They eventually named the characters Adams as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there was a sitcom in the 60s, then they made that movie in the 90s, which was meant to bank on nostalgia for the show, but I think became its own entity. I I know a lot of people when I was growing up who really didn't know the show. Mm. All they knew was that there was this really interesting, kooky-looking film Mm. uh, that was sold very well, and everything in it looked fun, so Mm. they went. Oh, there's a a severed hand that's just walking around? Mm. I want to see that. And there was good special effects on that hand, too. It still held up real good, there, actually. There's, there's an actor there who's then, yeah. like, wearing a blue suit doing the hand yeah. effects. Uh, and Yeah, you'd never know. It looks, it looks really good to this I day. I actually looked up that actor yeah. once. Like, he had a, like, decades-long career as a hand model yeah. when, before he was cast as a thing. He's such an expressive hand performance. Like, mm. seriously, there should be a special Oscar for that. There's a bit where the hand has to communicate something very desperately to Gomez Adams. And, uh... Like uh, tries to write something down, but it can't because the paper's too greasy, and it's like trying yeah. to well, you know, trying I mean, sign you know, language, but isn't good well, at you, sign. You, know, like, you ever try to write something on a piece of paper, but the piece of paper is loose, and you have to like use your other hand to steady the paper. Yeah. It only has one hand, yeah. so you can't do <laughs> it, that. It is it only throws a hand. It away. so it throws it away. It's trying to sign, but it's not very good at American <laughs> sign. You'd think it would be really good because it's yeah. just a hand. Until it ends up like grabbing a spoon and tapping on a message in Morse code. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's a great bet. The Adams family are. Brilliant. They're all very smart. Yeah. They are all very fond of each other. Uh, well, Pugsley and Pugsley Wednesday, and Wednesday have, a, have a love-hate relationship, I feel. They, they they love each other, but they also murder one another. Right. Like, so they're like any impl- sibling, really. It's implied that Pugsley yeah. dies multiple times over the course of the movie. If, if people could like live like a Looney Tune and like, you know, hmm. swallow a stick of dynamite and be fine, hmm. a lot of siblings would be doing that shit all the time yeah. when they were growing up. Because siblings fight all the uh, time. What what the film added, and so, something that was part of the sitcom as well, is that uh, Gomez and Morticia are way into each other sexually. They yeah. they uh, they love each other. They like to hurt each other in bed. They have yeah. like all these wonderful kinks they talk about. Yeah, uh, and that's sort of passion that people have come to aspire to. Yeah, like we were married for a long time, goals. and they are yeah. really really into yeah. each other. And they and because they're both monsters, they understand one another, and that's really important yeah. as well. Uh, by the end of this movie, movie they uh, introduce a n- new member to the Adams family. Um, Pubert. N- no, that's in the. the oh, sequel. sorry. I'm, I'm talking about <laughs> Pubert's mother. Oh, uh, that's uh, right. Uh, Swizzy Kurtz, I think, was the actress. Um, no, no, no. Pubert is Morticia's. Swizzy oh, Kurtz, Pubert, Kurtz, Kurtz was Dan Hedaya's wife. Dan Hedaya dies oh. horribly, and she ends up uh, marrying cousin cousin it. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, that's right. She doesn't have uh, Pubert. She has what? Yeah. <laughs> she, right. has, she has a baby as well that they name what? Yeah. There you go. Uh, but yeah, she uh, she turns out she's kind of into this morbid shit. Yeah. Like at the very end, it's like, oh, we're going to go outside and play a family game. What's it called? Wake the Dead. How do you play it? 
did you bring a shovel? <laughs> they're exhuming graves yeah. of the graveyard on they, their They don't want people... They're not, like, exclusionary. If you want in on the action, go for it. But if you're, like... the My favorite bits are when they have to, like vaguely tolerate normal life they have to like go to like pugsley and wednesday's school play mm. and every there's a bunch of skits or whatever and you can just seeing raul julia die inside while watching little kids do a song about flowers or whatever mm. is amazing and seeing him completely light up while everyone else in the audience is horrified mm. while wednesday and pugsley like slash each other to ribbons <laughs> and like spray blood over everybody in the audience like I, I a gallagher show i think it's the final uh, the final act of hamlet where one of them's hamlet and one's there he's like it's a very palpable hit um, yeah but they're, just, but, they're, but they're spraying blood yeah, like arterial spray out the fucking audience uh, the Adams family are loving together as a family unit. It's just their values are the complete opposite of ours. Yeah. And uh, that's what I admire. They're outsiders. And yeah. that spoke to a lot of outsiders. Goth was really big at the time. Mm-hmm. I think largely thanks to movies like this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the... and, that it, and it represented a need a lot of people had to escape the mainstream. Yeah, and I think that's only solidified even more by the second one, which mm-hmm. has a two-part story. One is uh, Joan Cusack, one of the greatest comedians who ever lived. Uh, she is infiltrates the Adam's she infiltrates family. the Adam's she wants to marry Fester and take his money because he's the older brother and technically it's all his uh, so she does so and of course she's amazing and it leads to one of my favorite bits where she like steals Fester away they take all the money and they have their own house but it's the way Joan Cusack wants it which is like a Barbie house she likes pink yeah. and lace and of course Morticia goes and is like you've kidnapped Uncle Fester you've warped his mind and you've turned him against us all that I could forgive <laughs> but Debbie but the best part of the movie is Debbie needs to get more uh, uh, Wednesday and Pugsley out of the way because they suspect her so Mm -hmm. she gets uh, uh, Gomez and Morticia to send them to summer camp and the summer camp which they which they burn to the ground by the end of the movie they kill everybody Mm -hmm. it's directly implied that they eat some of the campers they convince (laughs) the other kids to get in on this so they essentially start a murder cult yeah and they do it frankly in the name of seriously how fucked up is thanksgiving if you really think about it Mm. and it's it's weird that there was a thanksgiving play in a summer camp movie but i don't care yeah. <laughs> it's really fucking amazing they're both really really good and i'm gonna it's an say american that... bald eagle i thought they were extinct they are now <laughs> uh i will say this uh there was another live action adams family movie it starred tim curry and daryl hannah it went straight to television mm. called Car- adams family reunion carol Strakin, who plays lurch in those movies mm. is the i think the only returning cast i member. think he is too uh and I will say this: it's nowhere near as good as the Barry Sonnenfeld films, but it's also not a terrible watch. And if you want us, if you haven't like seen the Sonnenfeld films so recently that like they raised your standards super high, uh, and you can track down the Adams Family reunion, um, mm. it's cute. All right, it's a cute film, and I do just want to give it a little shout out because no one ever talks about it. All right. Um, all right, let's see what we got here. Uh, we've only got a few left, and I'm starting to hit the ones where I'm like. No list of mine would be complete without these. And so here's one that might seem like a headshot, but I think it's important not to take for granted how absolutely ingenious and bizarre and wonderful it is that it was a smash hit. Uh, Beetlejuice is. (laughs) Oh, golly, do I love Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is a brilliant motion picture, and ultimately... There are days... Listen, Tim Burton's made a lot of great movies. He's made some crap, but he's made, he's made a lot of great movies. His run in the 90s was pretty oh, impactful. He, every, God, everything through... I'm trying to think of where was his first... Everything through, like, Planet of the Apes yeah, up, up was pretty to, great. Like, Mars Attacks wasn't a hit at the time, but now it's well-respected. Yeah. Pretty much everything until then, 
Yeah, top notch. Right before then was Sleepy Hollow, and that was sort of like his last, maybe his last great mm. film. Even though that one was uh, wasn't a huge hit. I, I would. Some people would argue Big Fish. I would argue mm. Big Eyes. But regardless, the last twenty years he hasn't done his most of his best work. But regardless, eighties and nineties Burton, just game changer mm. in Hollywood. He, 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 I mean, he's the one who made Batman what it is, and that yeah, nineteen eighty nine yeah. Batman, maybe the most influential film of the last fifty years, mm. other than Star Wars. Like those are the two. Um, but in any case, uh, Beetlejuice is a haunted house movie from the perspective of the ghosts, uh-huh. which hadn't really been, we had Topper, but you hadn't really done it as like a horror story. And so the idea is Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin are this really sweet, small town couple and they die in a tragic accident and they come back to their house and they find out that they're ghosts. Mm-hmm. And what they find out is that being a ghost is actually full of a lot of red tape. And there's actually like an instruction manual, which is like really hard to decipher. There's a DMV of the afterlife. Yeah. Where you have to get a social worker and they explain all the rules to you. You have to take a number and there are very specific rules that they just don't understand because they're not that bright. (laughs) There's a whole bit where they talk about this reads like stereo instructions. Like they just, I'm not going to read the stereo instructions. I'm just going to turn on the stereo and that's what gets them into a lot of trouble. Um, So they're trapped in this house. They can't leave it. They're stuck there forever. And now there's a new family moving into their house. And the new family is pretty fucking shitty. They're they're, they're yuppies. They're yuppies, but they're really shit. They're on top of that. They're shitty yuppies. Mm. Uh, It's Jeffrey Jones plays this, just this weaselly dweeby, his crappy dad. He, he, he was a yuppie guy who uh, had a nervous breakdown in the city, so now they're moving to the country. Yeah. He's the reason they're there. Uh, his wife is Catherine O'Hara, one of the greats, mm. another one of the greatest comedians who ever lived. Uh, and uh, she is she's a city person without shame, and she's really uncomfortable living in the country, so she's trying to warp her environment around her, so mm. it becomes more like... Redesigning yeah. interiors is her thing, so yeah. she's gonna gut the house. She's gonna get the house. She adds this weird extension that's like the it's frame like a, of a house. It's a like, gazebo without a roof. Yeah. I kind of love it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I've always loved that thing. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, and uh, but, so, but Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin hate these people, so they want to scare them away the problem is they're not scary yeah. <laughs> they're actually nice people and they don't understand how the techniques work because they, they can't be seen it doesn't matter if they rip their faces off which they do and it looks amazing uh and so what they end up doing is hiring a, a reverse bio exorcist played they, they by call, michael keaton they call him a bio exorcist no, he's a bio they're not exercising ghosts they're exercising the living out yeah. of their house and how he's going to do that is by killing them and so uh they end up hiring beetlejuice played by michael keaton one of the most bizarre creations in mm. any comedy uh and uh, they immediately regret it because he's too much of a monster for them and also he's threatening the teenage daughter of these yuppies played by the amazing winona Ryder. this is like her big breakout role um who they actually are quite fond of, and because she herself is a goth, she can see them. Mm. So they actually can talk to them. And every single thing about this movie is clever. Mm. Every single element of it is unexpected. When you think about, okay, we're going to do a horror comedy from the ghost's perspective. Great. What were you thinking for the music? Harry Belafonte? What? <laughs> I've, and yet it works. It's well, I've, brilliant. I've talked about this before. The, this movie came out in 1988, and the there was a reissue on compact disc of the best of Harry Belafonte. And I had for, that. It's an incredible. For like, a, yeah. like for like a four to six month period, just in like 87, 
Yeah. Uh, every suburban home was listening to this record. So it yeah. actually made sense that they would also be listening to the record. But it doesn't fit the tone of the film, is my point. No. Or at least you wouldn't expect it yeah. to. Cal- so it's an Calypso odd choice. music isn't, you know... It's an odd choice, but it works. Right. Everything. The, the idea is we're going to have this thing that's kind of for kids. Everything was There was an animated series based on this. The makeup effects are genuinely terrifying. Oh, yeah. I, genuinely I could, frightening. This movie came out when I was 10 years old, and I couldn't look at some of that stuff. Yeah, it's really, there's really a, freaky. There's a scene where Gina Davis pulls her own face off that yeah. it's like, I'm out. I can't do yeah, that. Yeah, it's really, really fucked up, but it's so ingenious. And because all of these monsters are these really adorable people, you're in love with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Every single thing about this movie works, even though, and nowadays you'd feel like this movie would be picked apart in development. You'd yeah. be like, that's too weird. Pull back. Here it's like, how can we make it weirder? <laughs> like Tim Burton, I, don't know, I think he just like, Pee-wee's, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure was an unexpected hit. So he got kind of carte blanche to do this horror comedy and they let him do whatever he wanted. And then that was an unexpected success. So they let him do whatever he wanted with Batman and that was the biggest movie, like, of the decade in some ways. Maybe not financially, but certainly in terms of scope. And then it just kept escalating from there. And all of a sudden, Tim Burton was given the freedom to do whatever the fuck he wanted. And he was an interesting enough filmmaker that that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, some have argued that Beetlejuice kind of invented Hot Topic, which kind of... Yeah, between uh, between Bauhaus and Lydia Dietz. Yeah. And The Cure. And, yeah, and The Cure. Uh, goth as sort of a fashion, just sort of was suddenly recognizable as a thing. Yeah. Um, in any case, it's it's delightful, it's wonderful, and I know everyone knows that, but I think it's important to th- just remind ourselves just how weird this is, mm. how incredibly bizarre it is, how difficult this movie must have been to get made exactly this way, mm. and what a miracle it is that it not only works, but works so beautifully, and was a monster success. Because this feels like the kind of movie that wouldn't be a monster success, but became a cult favorite, and yet, huge blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. Give credit where credit is due. Beetlejuice kicks ass. What you got next? Uh, what do I want to do next? I don't um, know. I want to do uh, another film from 1990. Frankenhooker was from 1990. Okay. Uh, the best film of 1990, though. Better than Goodfellas. Better, better than, than Godfather Part 3? Better than The Godfather Part 3, even. <sighs> better than Dances with Wolves was Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Oh, I'm so glad. I left <laughs> this off because I knew you would do it. <laughs> I, I knew you well enough because I love Gremlins too, the new batch. Well, and I think this honest for me, I, I'm not going to invite you on this one like I was like I would the other. But uh, if it were me, I put Gremlins up there too. I think they kind of fit together because Gremlins is well, also a comedy. Gremlins is a is a hor- and Gremlins has like a little bit more horror elements. Like the yeah. Gremlins are a little bit scarier. Uh, they're, they're more they're, more like monsters. They're more intimidating. Mm. They chase people around with chainsaws right. and stuff like that. There's a bit more peril, I think, yeah, in Gremlins yeah. one. And and there's like a lot more on screen murder, like when they. Yeah. Launch that old woman off of the well, the staircase elevator, and it's also a little bit more like because it's a bit more subversive about something wholesome, you know, mm. Christmas and small yeah, town yeah. America, or at least that's the image that we have of those things. Um, when you yeah, throw in an army of little monsters with chainsaws and handguns, mm. um, it just feels a little darker. Yeah, yeah it's so like a little yeah. bit more subversive. Yeah, uh, and Gremlins too. Uh, yeah, the the monsters themselves are designed to be a little bit more cartoony. Although that's Spider Gremlin, man, that's that's an awesome looking fucking monster. That Spider Gremlin is legitimately scary. I yeah, think anyone uh, can agree that that Spider Gremlin is freaky as fuck. Um, I wouldn't necessarily put them together because they really are, a, even though they're both made by Joe Dante. Uh, from what I understand, Joe Dante didn't want to do a Gremlins two until they said you can do whatever you want. 
Mm-hmm. And he said, can I make a Looney Tunes cartoon in live action? Yeah. And they said, sure. And lo and yeah. behold, you have a, a setup at, for the first half of the movie where uh, uh, Gizmo is now in, like, loose in the big city. He's mm-hmm. captured by the evil Dr. Catheter, played by, uh, played <laughs> Christopher, by Christopher Lee. Lee. Yeah. And uh, he's like goes to a genetics lab, which is located in essentially Trump Tower. They call it Clamp Tower. But the, the fact that it's a four, it's the fact that it ends with MP is yeah. not a coincidence. Uh, yeah. Clamp is uh, an amalgam of Donald Trump and Ted Turner because he's also like this big media mogul, played by the great John Glover. Yeah, John Glover, and he he doesn't play him like a villain. He plays him like an excitable little boy, which is a, yeah. a great choice, I think. Yeah, it is because you you kind of hate him because he shouldn't have this much power, but he's yeah. also he's also funny. So like yeah, you don't yeah. But there is a scene where he's watching um, It's a Wonderful Life, and he's kind of frowning, and he turns a knob, and all this like awful color saturation appears on the screen, <laughs> and he kind of smiles to himself. Yeah, I fixed it. I fixed Frank Capra's movie. There's a joke in this one where it's like, coming up on the Clamp Network, Casablanca, now in color with a happier ending. That's right. <laughs> so he's, he's like mucking with film history. Yeah. He's, he's not a, a good guy, but you know, this is kind of a cartoon universe. Yeah. Uh, and of course, wouldn't you know it, uh, Gizmo gets wet. That makes him multiply. Mm. The, the gizmos that come off of his back all eat after midnight mm. and they turn into monsters and they all get wet and now there's monsters in Trump Tower. However, because, Fine premise. However, because they were in like a genetic experiments lab, mm. they all, like, a lot of them like end they up start, swallowing weird vials they, they, of chemicals there's, there's, and transform really, into different kinds of monsters. There's these cartoony vials of like glowing yellow fluid that they drink out of these beakers. And yeah, there's a, mm. a mutant bat. One turns into... I don't know how this works. Electricity. Yeah, I don't know the genetic code for electricity. To but turn there we a, go. a physical body yeah. into electricity. One uh, of them gets fruit growing all over their body. Fruit for, and vegetables. Just vegetables. Oh, it is vegetables. Yeah. I, I, I could have sworn there was a tomato in there, but all right. He's, he's drinking my vegetable medley. Uh, <laughs> it, it's... It, it really kind of takes the piss out of the original Gremlins. There's yeah. even a discussion in the movie of... Consisting of like fan questions about the first movie. Yeah, it's like so. Zach Galligan is back in this one. By the way, this is like the third Zach Galligan movie we have on, the, on both of our lists, and I love that. Four, if you count the honorable mention for Gremlins. Uh, and uh, Zach Galligan shows up, and he's working at Clamp Tower because he's in the movie. And uh, but he tries to explain the rules to these all these scientists, and they're just like, "Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't feed them at the midnight." When is it after midnight? Yeah, what if, what what if you're on an airplane zone? and there's a time zone? It's yeah. midnight what if, somewhere. What if you have food stuck in your teeth and it like pops out at 12.01? Does and it the, count? Like, yeah, and how the, much food? Like, what do you... And, and these are probably things that like fans we, asked Joe Dante at one point. So we've just asked Joe movie, Dante. Yeah. I We had him on a podcast once. Long, yeah. long, long time. Ten years ago now. Oh. The episode's long since lost, sadly. But um, I got to ask him, oh. when does it... It's not... The question I always had was simply this. When is it not after midnight? Isn't it technically always after midnight? Like when is when is it okay to feed a gremlin? Is it only from like noon to twelve eleven fifty nine? I believe his response was shut up. His, <laughs> no, like, his response was we thought about that, and then he just changed the subject. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like no, his no. What his response was was we made fun of that in Gremlins too. Yeah, yeah, and then he didn't answer the question, and the reason why it doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter. matter. Look, the the actual like. Uh, re- reproduction cycle of a, a gremlin. gremlin is com- it's complete nonsense. Of course it is. They get, they get wet. How do they bathe? What if they're in wet snow? It's it doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter. It's it's a fairy tale. It's well, like fairy tale. Technically, magic. it's sci-fi because if you read the novelization of the original mm. Gremlins, they were from outer space. 
fairy tale logic, though. Yeah, uh, fairy tale logic. Um, and of course, that's not canon. It's like you're, you're it's feeding funny. them after midnight. Midnight. It's kind of like the witching hour, like yeah. the far from the Earth sun. Maybe there's some sort of mm-hmm. cosmic thing going on. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. You have monsters. They're they're let loose in Trump Tower. They're mutant into like spiders mm. and bats. One and of stuff. them is super intelligent now and can speak English, and he's a delight. Uh, Leonard Maltin appears in the movie as himself and he gets murdered by gremlins for giving the first gremlins movie a bad review. And I just want to say thank you to <laughs> Leonard Maltin. One of the happiest experiences of my life in this industry was when we got to do an entrance in the Schmodown where we were being attacked by gremlins and then Leonard Maltin got cut into it in like a picture in picture mm. saying, hi, I'm Leonard Maltin and he reviewed our entrance. <laughs> he gave it, and he gave it a bad review. And he gave it a bad review. He, he actually, he, he was said he would be fine giving it a good review mm. and I was like, no, give us a bad Give one. us a bad review. <laughs> give us, go for it, Leonard. He was so nice about He's that. He's very game. He's um, a very nice man. Yeah. The, Leonard Moulton and his daughter, Jesse have wonderful podcasts mm. together. And they, t- they talk movies and they're just wonderful. Uh, Jesse's expecting very soon. I heard. So, yeah, That's ma- so exciting. Ma- ma- yeah. Tov, and, yeah. uh, but uh, yeah, the, the, that he was game enough to be not just strangled by gremlins in 1990, mm-hmm. but to, deal with us yeah, I know <laughs> I had this idea once I had where like a video we could do with Leonard Maltin where we're like Dennis the Menace yeah. he's like Mr. Wilson you kids hello yeah. Mr. Maltin <laughs> he was nice yeah. um, but, and, and, uh, but and, anyway Gremlins 2 is yeah. is it is absolutely inspired mm. it, it, Gremlins 2 is I, I couldn't and I'm curious if you put you on it if you put it on your list but I don't know I couldn't quite put Bride of Frankenstein on my list because although it's very yeah, funny uh, it's still kind of it's I wouldn't calling it a comedy feels like an exaggeration. It's yeah, just well, it's, it's just quirky. It's like that's how I feel about Scream. Scream yeah. is not a comedy film, and I don't think Bride of Frankenstein is a comedy film yeah. either. There's definitely it's, it's definitely a, funny, but I don't know if it's there's comic yeah. elements and there's definitely camp to it. So yeah. the same reason the Rocky Horror Picture Show is not on my list. Yeah, same. That, that's that's a, a fun campy musical with mm. horror elements, but I wouldn't call that a horror comedy. No, I mean I guess if if okay. you if you did, I probably wouldn't fight you on it because mm. I can see the argument, but no. it's not on my list. I, my my point when I bring up Bride of Frankenstein is that um, I see the Gremlins and Gremlins 2 as the modern Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, which is the original <laughs> is great mm. and kind of pure of spirit and genuinely subversive and creepy in some ways, but also has a sense of humor. It's yeah, also very, there's very There's a weird. lot of chaos in that first movie. But when the sequel came around, the exact same filmmaker, who clearly was bored with it, mm. uh, decided to go completely bonkers and do whatever the hell they wanted, mm. whether it made sense or not. And mm. miraculously, it's perfect. Uh, and you, it's great. And I think they're can, both uh, wonderful motion pictures. You can get Gremlins 2 on Blu-ray only in a double pack with The Goonies. They never no. released it by itself. That so you if you surely if you what? want a, if you want a you can get it a DVD, but if you want a Blu-ray of Gremlins 2 the new batch, you have to also buy a Blu-ray of that The Goonies. That seems perverse to me. <laughs> and, and if you I'm don't gonna like, look into this. And I, I like the Goonies fine. I'm not a huge like cultist of it, but I do own the Goonies just because I wanted to have uh, Gremlins 2. Um on the Blu-ray. That is not true. Oh, did they do it? They uh, did finally release Gremlins 2 on Blu-ray. Just by itself. You can get it on Blu-ray. Oh, good. Okay. So you don't mm. have to buy the Goonies. No, that's... If, that, if you don't want to buy If the that Goonies. was true, it's not anymore. Okay. Okay. But when I looked it up, when I found it for okay. the first time, I could only get it with the I Goonies. could get that to you by Saturday. Oh, I'm sure you could mail it, right? Yeah, right. but... Um, or you could stream anytime. When you when you got Gremlins 2, the new batch, on VHS back in the day, and I know yeah. because I rented it a bunch from my video store, Sam. they changed one of the metagags to match the medium. Now, if you recall, in, if you were in, lucky enough to see Gremlins 2 in a movie theater, 
uh, there's a bit in the movie where the film breaks and you can see like the shadows of gremlins in as, the projection As booth. if they had invaded the booth and they're holding yeah. the film, like wrapping the film around their bodies yeah. and doing finger puppets. Yeah. And then they cut to the interior of the theater you're in uh-huh. and they ask the celebrity watching the movie, who is Hulk Hogan, yeah. to trash talk the gremlins into putting the movie back on which he does and he rips his shirt off and says you be- you gremlins better put the movie back on brother and yeah. and so they do and the movie continues yeah totally it, bizarre really stupid utterly wonderful the home video version is yeah. you end up getting like snow or it's, something it's right? like vhs static yeah and you see this the same silhouettes but now they're like all staticky mm. and it doesn't play the same way but and we- then the celebrity yeah. guest is no longer hulk hogan but it's john wayne John Wayne? Like, they they found public domain clips of John Wayne, and they clipped that into the movie, and they had gremlins shooting it out with John Wayne. Oh, right, right, I remember that. And and he shoots the gremlins, and then we hear, like, a sound alike giving some voiceover saying, no, you don't need those gremlins in your TV sets. Let's start the movie again. But what's weird is that when they showed it on TV, they showed the movie version. Bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking make up your fucking mind. (laughs) But now when you get it on Blu-ray, it's the movie version again, so... I hope, that, can, I hope the other one's at least available as like a clip or something. find it. It's, yeah. it's kind of an oddity. It would be nice the, if you the could... The movie if you version could, is better. I, I would like the option to see it both ways. Okay. You know? It certainly <laughs> would be nice. It's a Blu-ray. How hard can it be to have a branching option? Yeah. But anyway. Anyway, that's awesome and great. And I'm totally with you. And I'm glad you picked it. Yeah. Um, my next pick is maybe the darkest film on my list. Mm. Uh, it's clearly a comedy, but it is a very sad comedy, and I think it's really kind of beautiful. Hmm. Um, it is a film from Marjan Satrapi called The Voices. Oh, I like The Voices. I, I really love The Voices. I mm. consider The Voices to be one of the best horror movies of the 2010s, which makes it, by extension, one of the best movies of the 2010s. And it really bums me out that this movie didn't get the attention it deserved. Um, the Voices stars Ryan Reynolds as a young man who is working, I believe, at a toilet factory. And everything is like really heightened. It's like um, it's like the suburban world of Edward Scissorhands. Everything's really brightly colored. Everyone's very larger than life and peppy. Uh, and uh, Ryan Reynolds is an incredibly nice man. Mm. Everyone thinks he's a nice man. He's not well. He's not like popular, but everyone thinks he's nice. He's a bit of a pushover. Goes to work. Has a great day. Comes back to his apartment, and his dog and his cat talk to him mm. and tell him to do things. And we find out that he uh, is off his meds. Mm. And he's trying to get by in his life and have a very, very nice life. But bad things happen. And unfortunately, uh, he ends up killing one of his co-workers, a beautiful woman uh, played by Gemma Arterton. Mm. And... um, his pets tell him that he needs to cut her up and put her in the in the refrigerator. Mm. And then her severed head starts talking to him as well. Mm. And then he starts trying to cover everything up. And then Anna Kendrick comes in and then maybe she'll start dating him. But can he have her over to the apartment? Because Gemma Arterton might say something. Um, it's funny in its presentation because it's got this weird peppy Paul Bartellish John Watersy kind of qualities. Yeah, yeah. This delightfully eccentric, weird thing. And then there's a moment about halfway through the movie where Ryan Reynolds is convinced that all of this is probably wrong and he goes off his meds. And then you see what his life is really like. And how it's actually like full of like filth and disorder. Yeah. yeah and you realize that he's his mental illness is to him well, preferable to reality. reality. Yeah, yeah. And 
there's something and and the the path that he goes on is very very tragic hmm. and very very horrifying. It's a genuinely scary movie in a lot of ways, but because we're seeing it from his perspective and we're seeing this genuine attempt to capture uh, a break in reality and to talk about the way because he has a, a a psychiatrist who absolutely doesn't understand what's happening with him hmm. and doesn't understand what how he feels about it, doesn't understand his decisions, doesn't understand his mental illness at all. Um, and is just treating him with drugs, which he has decided not to take, so they're not even helping. Uh, it's a really amazing film about mental illness. I really do think it is. I think it's a film that is... I mean, obviously, it's about an extreme version of this. Yeah. But it is about how when you are experiencing any form of mental illness, and I can speak this from personal experience. I'm not I'm not a serial killer, but you know, I have my own mm. issues. Um, they feel sane and mm. removing them feels wrong. It's like, oh, I can deal with my anxiety and now what do I do? Mm. Nothing, nothing feels right. Going back to the anxiety is comfortable. Um, and, uh, there, I know this is an issue um, for uh, people who suffer uh, manic episodes. Yeah. They don't, when they're fe- when they're suffering through depressive episodes, uh, mm-hmm. they don't want to take they do want to take their meds, mm-hmm. but then they don't because then they'll miss sort of the the energy of the manic episodes. They, a lot of people mm-hmm. are kind of I was told I was, don't want to be evened out. They actually like prefer the, yeah. the highs I, as it were. When I the, went on when I went on medication, I was mm-hmm. told I was worried about this. Like, how much will this affect my personality? And they mm-hmm. said your lows won't be as low, but mm-hmm. also your highs might not be as yeah, high, yeah, and that's yeah. something you will need to consider. And there's a, there's something to be said for that. Mm-hmm. You know, so his, yeah, there's you know. a, I remember uh, I, I heard an episode of This American Life uh, where uh, the uh, host was interviewing people who suffered uh, schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of uh, what one person said, they they had like sort of hallucinations where angels were visiting them at night and they were actually being sexual with the angels. And they said they stopped taking their meds because they were lonely. They were used to sort of that yeah. visitation. Yeah. Uh, even though they knew it was. In, in their head, they, yeah. they liked it. And so the, that's something that the voices I think confronts directly. Yeah. I, I don't know how it, it feels like a little bit cartoon, like a broad version of, oh, of a real world. Again, psych, it's, it's, psychological clearly, issue, it's but, clearly the most extreme version of this yeah. uh, that we can put in a film and it should not be taken as here's exactly what it's like. Mm. But I know that when I've recommended this to people and often to people who like me have mental health issues, uh, I've mostly discovered that people appreciate what it's getting at and mm-hmm. how it is attempting to convey uh, how the perception of reality shifts depending on how you're treating it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but it's and but and this is important. It's also funny, and I think it manages to be funny without shortchanging its subject material. Yeah. It actually yeah. it actually comes across even though there's murder, there's horror, there's really bad things mm. that happen in this movie that's genuinely kind of scary sometimes. Mm. Um, it's actually very tender and I really appreciate that. And I feel like, you know, it's, I don't know. I feel like there really isn't another horror movie quite like this one. I know there's a lot of horror movies that try to like maybe understand or empathize Mm -hmm. what a person who murders a lot of people is going through. But in this particular instance, I think it's, this is it at its most interesting. Okay. And on top of it all, it's a hoot. So um, it's a bit more melancholic than maybe some of the other films on my list, but I think it's actually really beautiful. And yeah. I'll take any opportunity to recommend it because I think it's great. 
Um, mm. Don't worry, my next two are much lighter. Right. Uh, but uh, what are your? We had two left. Oh, my two left. What, um, what's your number? T- my num- two. My number him? two is, which is probably your number one, is Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein. Yeah, that's my number. Uh, one. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a shoe in, and yeah. you know, I was debating between my actual number one and this one. I I chose my actual number one just because it was a film that was personally important to me for for many years. But okay. Young Frankenstein is, I mean, it's pretty unassailable. It's it's it is. Here's what it boiled down to for me mm. when it came time to pick like what my number one was. And again, this was my number mm. one, Young Frankenstein. Um, this is definitely one of those horror comedies I was talking about where it's comedy first, horror second. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. a comedy with horror bits. It's, it's not actually scary at any point. It, uh, uh, you could call it a spoof movie. There are some weird sure. slapstick moments. Uh, but it's very genuine. But here's, mm. here's what it boiled down to for me. Um, if you asked me what's the funniest movie ever made <laughs> i would probably say young frankenstein on any given day yeah young young it's one of those like of of the five like five comedy giants that are frequently listed when people talk about the funniest movies ever made along with stuff like airplane and monty python on the holy grail yeah duck soup D- yeah duck soup depending on your taste i know some people yeah, don't th- like those movies i'm not right. gonna say that you must but uh, typically when they make lists of the best yeah. comedies ever made those are in there somewhere in the top they're, 10 they're top usually 20. mixed in somewhere yeah. and blazing saddles which came out the same year as young frankenstein that's the most that amazing people talk about like and listen there aren't a lot of directors who managed to put out more than one movie a year just mm-hmm. in general but when you manage to put out blazing saddles and young frankenstein Arguably two of the best comedies ever made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good for fucking yeah, you. Both Holy came out shit, Mel. Uh, wow. But yeah, uh, Young Frankenstein, uh, if, if you're unfamiliar with it, uh, Gene Wilder plays the, the grandson Son. of Frankenstein. Uh, mm. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Well, and he, he was <laughs> trying to distance himself from his, his grandfather's legacy, so he calls himself Frankenstein. <laughs> Still funny, and, yeah. and yeah, some yeah. some little weaselly guy in a class he's teaching says, "What about your grandfather's work?" He's like, "My grandfather's work was doo doo," <laughs> uh, and he receives a letter that he's inherited his grandfather's castle. His grandfather's yeah. castle, by luck, is the set uh, that Universal used for Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. A lot of a lot of the buildings and props are still in that building. Yeah, like, they got to use the original later. stuff, and that's yeah. what, what a treat. And and uh, and it's shot in black and white, so mm. it looks really authentic. And it's not shot like one of those bright, cheery, like you know, mm. superhero movie, like spoof movie comedies, mm. or like not another teen movie. It's shot like a universal horror movie. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the really, photography is really amazing. It, in the movie. If you if you only looked at, if, unless it was like one of the sillier moments in the movie, but if you only looked at like a still frame of it, and you huh. didn't, didn't know that Gene Wilder is usually in comedies, you would say to yourself, "Oh, it's probably one of those universal horror movies." Like it just captures it, yeah, really yeah. well. And, but Gene Wilder, who is, uh, I mean, comedic genius, is able yeah. to play, like, underplay, but also be super manic, and he does, mm. he gets to do both. Mm. Go uh, the screenplay, too. Yeah, he's he's engaged to Madeline Kahn, but Madeline Kahn is, uh, in, in their, doesn't want to be touched on their farewell, because she's going to a ball, she's, mm. like, had her hair and her nails yeah. done, so don't kiss me. And, in fact, when he blows her a kiss, she ducks out of the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Madeline Kahn, another comedic genius. Yeah. Uh, he meets up with, not Igor, but Igor. Played by Marty played Feldman. Played by Marty Feldman. A comedian and, with very large and, eyes in general, so that's the joke. And, and the and the respondent Terry Gar as oh, Inga. Oh, so damn funny in this. Yeah. Um, so and, I, Igor, Inga, and Dr. Frankenstein find the an old uh, notebook, mm-hmm. and he feel, re- realizes, wait a minute, I could make one of these monsters, and we have the grave robbing sequence. And the electric could yeah. work! <laughs> They have the electric electric, electrocution sequence. Peter yeah. Boyle plays 
plays the monster. Oh my god! Every single thing about—I mean, I, I, even the jokes that aren't good in this movie are good, <laughs> and it's because Mel Brooks knows how to deliver them here, yeah. and he's got a cast that's really, really game. The oldest jokes in the universe are mm. in Young Frankenstein. Like walk this way. Yeah, walk this way, sad. No, Marty Feldman like walks. Walks down. with a little cane. Yeah, like, no, this and way, he, and hands him the cane. And for a second, Gene Wilder starts to do it, and then he stops. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, that's not a funny joke. That's the oldest joke in the world. Mm. But what's funny is that they did it. Mm. What's funny is that they did it with a straight face in this lighting, with this serious <laughs> a production, with this much commitment. And they and this is one of the best things you can do with any sort of broad comedy, spoof comedy. Mm. Never miss an opportunity for a joke. Yeah, does, It doesn't yeah. even have to be a good one. You just can't miss an opportunity for it. You can't pass up a joke, even if it's a stupid joke in the world. Because what you're doing is you're keeping... It's like being on a comedy drip. Yeah. You know, like they've 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 hooked the comedy into your veins. Yeah. It needs to be a steady drip. Otherwise, you're just going to... Well, I don't know what medically would happen to you, but it probably wouldn't be very good. Uh, so... It's consistently great. It's consistently funny. So many bits of it are completely inspired. Gene Wilder gives one of, if not the greatest comedic performances I've ever seen oh. in a movie. He just somehow manages to go from one to ten back to one, oh. like in a split second. And he's, it's always fucking oh. funny. <laughs> Every single time. Uh I love this movie to pieces. There, I would recommend even, this movie to anybody. This movie is one of the funniest things I've ever there, seen. There's even comic moments that, even where there isn't a gag, the actor will take control of that scene. Yeah. Like, uh, like, of course, Leachman does this in every one of oh. her scenes. <laughs> when but, she's like, uh, when he's when he's uh, putting him to bed, it's yeah. like, would you like, a, would you like a night captain? No, no, thank no, you. So would you like a glass of brandy? No, thank you. Some warm milk. Perhaps. No, no thank you. Perhaps. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Okay. Ovaltine. Ovaltine. <laughs> Get no. Well, Thank the, you. Her her name Good is night. her name is uh, Frau Blucher, and yeah. uh, whenever somebody says her name, there's like ominous horses neighing in the background, yeah, and like, this continues whenever somebody says her name. Like you yeah. hear them from outside later in the movie. We had heard a long time ago mm. that that was because Blucher means glue in German. That is apparently That's not, not true. true. No. It's just a stupid it's, joke. It's just a, well, it, it has nothing to do with anything. It, it, it I think it is, alludes to like maybe the Wolfman or one of the sequels where somebody says like an, an, an ominous name and there's like yeah. thunderclaps. It was supposed but to be like but, a reference to that kind of. But thing. it happens literally every time anyone yeah. says their name. So there's a, a moment where uh, somebody says "Thank you, Frau Blucher," and the horse's name. And as Clarice Leachman turns away from him and like her face passes by the camera, the look of disgust she puts on her face, like, yeah. oh God, they did it again, <laughs> is another little joke unto itself. And then she leaves. And of course, Marty Feldman, after everyone's gone, just says, looks around and goes, Bluka, Bluka. Ah! <laughs> he kind of smiles. Uh, it, it, it is, it's utterly sublime uh, and, and when the monster what, what he ends up doing with the monster is pretty hilarious yeah uh madeline khan does come back uh and then kenneth mars uh, who we just talked about in our podcast about what's up doc uh shows up as the burgomeister who is fr- who is what movie was the son of frankenstein son of frankenstein yeah so yeah they yeah. spoof that character they, it's actually the plot is actually mostly taken from son of frankenstein yeah which is actually quite good starring basil rathbone and bella goes i think we already talked about mm. it um, that movie's underrated. Everyone like sort of a lot of people sort of stop after Bride. See Sun. Sun, Sun is Sun quite is good. Okay, after that yeah. it gets a little silly. It's, it's but... not as good as the first two, but it's pretty solid. Yeah. It's worth seeing. Um, so, some of those sequels are pretty good. Like yeah. um, Werewolf of London came before The Wolfman. I should never saw uh, Werewolf of London. Werewolf of London is pretty good. Yeah. She Wolf of London, not so much. Mm. Um, but some of the I like the Invisible.
Invisible Man sequels just because the mm. special effects are kind of cool. Yeah. Um, the Mummy sequels all suck. Yeah, uh, every single there, one. There's four they get sequels. worse over yeah, time. Yeah, but like, there's and, four sequels to The Mummy and they just get worse. And like two of them are like, half of them are a clip show. Like it's just yeah, reminding just you what happened in the first Mummy. Like it's mm. so and, lazy. And the movies are already like 60 yeah. minutes to start with. No, Young Frankenstein, It's I feel the way about Young Frankenstein the way I do about Galaxy Quest, which uh. is uh, if you're ranking the Star Trek movies, you have to include Galaxy uh. Quest. And I feel like if you're ranking like the Universal Horror movies, you have to include Young Frankenstein, mm. which is maybe the ultimate compliment. All right, moving on. You took my number one, which is fine. Right. I actually was struggling between picking my number one because it's the funniest thing ever, mm. and number two, which I think is... It, it, there's a cult around this movie, but it's not a very well-known cult. It's not mm. like Evil Dead 2, which, yes, I didn't pick. You know about it. <laughs> you know all about yeah, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. You know all about it. Maybe even Whitney yeah. picked it. I don't know. We'll find mm. out in a minute. Uh... But for me, I think one of the absolute best horror comedies ever made is a film that didn't get a lot of attention when it came out of the 1980s. And now I think there's a certain type of horror fan who has discovered it and loves it. But mm. to most people, it's still pretty obscure. And that is Fred Decker's Night of the Creeps. I just saw this for the first time like less than a week ago. I'm so <laughs> glad you did. Because now we and, can finally talk. I've been trying to get you to watch this for a long time. It's great. It's I so good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's... I was kind of hoping the whole movie would take place in the 1950s. Yeah, because it opens uh, weird. It opens in black and white with like two well, it, two kids on lovers' land. Well, it opens in space. I apologize. <laughs> I remembered it wrong. It opens with like a bunch of different movies. So it opens. So first off, it's called Night of the Creeps. Mm -hmm. It opens on a spaceship with like a little weird alien escaping with some kind of weird tube. And, the, and the, it's the, really action-packed and, action we see it and in, wild. Uh, alien subtitles. They say the the experiment must not leave the ship. It's like the opening of Lilo and Stitch, yeah. and then. Uh, and then we cut to black and white. It used to be in color. Now it's in black and white in the 1950s. And there's a couple of teenagers on Lover's Lane. And it's the exact, it's the hook hand setup. You know exactly where this is going. Someone gets horribly uh, mutilated. And then we cut to the present where a couple of uh, dweeby college kids are just going about their business. They're just, they want to like join a fraternity. They want to date. They're very well written. Yeah, they're they, they staggeringly well-written characters. They have a really good rapport. Yeah. They have a really well-established relationship. Um, uh, Jason Lively plays the main character, and let me mm. look up uh, his best friend. Oh yeah, because uh, he actually didn't do a lot. Uh, Steve Marshall is the other one, and uh, Steve Marshall gives a heartbreaking performance. He, here. he is wonderful. There's even uh, some implication that uh, the character's named JC. Mm. That JC might be in love with mm. his best friend Chris. That's my take. Um, he even says, I love you, but, you know, yeah. it's this it's like at a tragic moment. Yeah. Uh, and he is also, and this is very rare, incidentally disabled. Yes. He, he walks with crutches and it's a, not a, a bully picks on him because of it. Nobody else mentions it. Yeah, it's not. It's not, not a plot it's, point. It's not the raison d'etre for, yeah. his, for his person being in the movie. Mm. It's, it's just a part of his life and he deals with it mm. with good humor mm. and he's great. Uh, they are uh, trying to get into a fraternity because it's college and that's what you do. And they are told if you want to get into this fraternity, you have to pull a prank. And the prank is you have to steal a corpse from the science lab, mm. which is pretty fucked up, actually. But what they end up doing is they find a corpse that has been cryogenically frozen since the 50s that is infected with space worms. <laughs> and they end up stealing that corpse. The space worms get out, start infecting people mm. and turning them into zombies. The, the doctor is played by uh, a very young David Paymer yep. in an early role for him. I like to think he's playing the same character he plays in Silent Rage. Where sure, he makes an yeah. undead serial killer. Um, <laughs> and also, we ha we can't forget the incredible Tom Atkins, 
who plays <laughs> a cop. Who traipses in from a completely different movie. He comes in, and he comes in from some kind of fucking film noir, and he has one of the best catchphrases I've ever seen in a movie. It's so simple. He walks into a crime scene, dead bodies everywhere, and he says, thrill me. Yeah, <laughs> throws away his cigarette. I interviewed Fred Decker once, and I asked him about that line, and he said, the movie started with that line. Thrill me. He came up with a character who comes into a crime scene and says, thrill me, and then this built mm. around it. What an incredible development process. Uh, Fred Fred Decker is a pretty important uh, figure in like 80, for 80s horror nerds. Yeah. Because he, he didn't direct it, but he came up with a story for the movie House, which you mentioned earlier. Yep, very good. Uh, he directed this. He directed The Monster Squad, mm-hmm. um, and he, which he also co-wrote. Uh, mm. And he's, you know... He wrote, like, the screenplay for stuff like Robocop 3. Well, he directed Robocop uh, 3. And Robocop 3 was... Oh, that's be, what he did Robocop that 3 one. was going to be his big break. It was, like, this big, expensive motion picture sequel. And it, that movie had, like, a messy post uh, uh, behind-the-scenes thing. It turned into this weird amalgam of whatever. Mm-hmm. The movie's not good. I don't know how much of it is Fred Decker's fault. It just didn't turn out good. Mm-hmm. And it kind of derailed his career, and he ended up not making a lot of movies for a while. And then... Uh, and then finally, he was able to get a gig making The Predator, a movie which also turned out not good. Yeah, that sucked. Um, um, it was a good opportunity that they, I think, weren't expecting. Yeah, so, I don't think they. So they didn't really have an idea. I do know that there's another one. That's another one where, like, you know, like there were like two or three different endings to that movie that they shot. Uh, like it's another one where it just like it feels like the studio wanted to have franchise notes and everything and mm. whatever they wanted to do. They didn't get to do it, and what they got, whether it was, whether the things that are wrong with The Predator are the direct result of Fred Decker or Shane Black, I cannot say. What I can say is that it sucks. Mm. Um, But uh, I I wanted to think that maybe he knew better, because Night of the Creeps rules and the Monster Squad rules. Mm. Night of the Creeps has incredibly wonderful dialogue. Every single character is shockingly well-written. Uh, this is another one that passes my rule of uh, It's mostly for slasher movies But I think it applies to anything mm. If you're going to make a horror movie The best bet is make sure that If nothing horrific happened to these characters You'd still want to see a movie about them yeah, yeah That's the trick I think if you can do that You're going to have a really good horror movie um, he- Here's something really curious about Night of the Creeps And we noticed right away um, this movie was made in 1986, mm-hmm. but it called out all of the people working in the horror industry at the time by naming characters after active horror filmmakers. Yeah, so like, there's a character named Mr. Romero. Yeah, and a uh, character named the, Mr. the main Cray- character yeah. is named Romero. Um, the JC is short for not John Carpenter, but James Carpenter, but his real last name is Hooper, as in Toby Hooper. <laughs> so his name is Carpenter Hooper. Uh, the the love, mm-hmm. main love interest played by Jill Whitlow is named Cronenberg. There's a Detective Landis mm-hmm. and a Sergeant Ramey. Yeah, there, there's a, a Craven. There's a Bava. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of like yeah. shout outs to horror filmmakers in this movie. Yeah, which is something that really wasn't as common at the time, and now well, it's it, very, very normal. Well, it would be like if somebody made a monster movie today and they named after like Mike Flanagan and Scott Derrickson and yeah. like the horror filmmakers working today. Yeah. It's like Detective, it's, Detective it's, Flanagan and Detective Derrickson. And you know, that it's kind of something thing. that you would normally do in a movie, but you weren't supposed to take seriously. But you can take this movie very seriously. And that's the thing that's wonderful about it. No matter how much silly, weird shit. And there's also some really horrifying monster effects in this. Like there's oh, a yeah. creepy cat and there's like all kinds of really gross zombie shit. But well, the, um, the way it works is the, the little alien slugs jump into your mouth and go straight into your brain. And that's yeah. where they start to reproduce. Yeah. It, it's actually your, your head explodes and a bunch of worms explode. It's, it's like one of the two movies that everyone said Slither kind of ripped off. And mm-hmm. I don't know how true any of that is. But between this and Shivers from David Cronenberg, mm-hmm. 
Slither feels like you know the great the grandson of those two things. Yeah, but yeah. um, but yeah, it's really really great. And the the I will say this: the final speech given by Steve Marshall as he's got brain slugs. Yeah, and he's yeah. making a he, he, he made an audio cassette he, for for the main character to find. Oscar worthy. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. That is not an exaggeration. He gives a genuinely great performance. Mm. If you haven't seen Night of the Creeps, please see Night of the Creeps. I, I, if you, unless you really are opposed to gore, which mm. in case it's quite gory. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those. But like you know the whole reanimator type deal. But like unless you're opposed to gore, in which case you might not like anything that's really gory. Um, I think you're gonna find that the movie is really great, and it's one of the better unsung horror classics. And I think it's I if if I had picked a number two. Like uh-huh. horror comedies, I think I picked Night of the Creeps. Okay. I really do love this movie to pieces. So yeah, no, um, that's my number two. Yeah, I really do. I, I'll have to stew with it for a while because I just saw. I'm it. just glad you finally saw. Yeah, it. Uh, my my wife and I uh, watched back to back two movies we hadn't seen before: uh, Night of the Creeps and Night of the Comet. Oh, what do you think? Of Night- yeah. It's not your number one. What do you think of Night of the Comet? I, I like Night of the Comet. I, I like I like Catherine Mary Stewart. Mary Warnoff is in that one as well. Um, uh, it's it's pretty fun. It's a lot more melancholic than we expected. It is about the yeah. end of the world, after yeah. all. It's about pretty much the legit apocalypse by the end. But uh, we we weren't prepared for like kind of how sad it was. We were expecting yeah. something kind of as, as wacky as Night of the Creeps. So it yeah. felt really downbeat in comparison. Uh, yeah, I would have started with Night of the Comet. Yeah, we, uh, okay, yeah. and, and we were going to chase it with uh, Night of the Demons. Oof, but, that's uh, a good one. <laughs> which is like really kooky. But yeah, yeah we, we fell asleep. Yeah, <laughs> it was getting pretty late. We're in our 40s. We can't do, there's an honorable do the triple feature as well as we used to. All right, to. well, we're down to your number right. one. Uh, My I number have some one. theories, but what is it? It's Army of Darkness. Yeah, I think it's, it yeah, Army, yeah. Um, our Army of Darkness was one of those movies that... Like when you, if you watch it when you're 16, it's your favorite movie for like at least six months. I, yeah, uh, pretty much. It was mine. That mm. it was that in Evil Dead too. Uh, you know, Evil yeah. Dead One is there's a lot of humor in it, but it's a, mostly a straightforward horror movie. Mm. And then Evil Dead Two is like, what if we did a Cabin in the Woods demon movie, but like if the Three Stooges did it? No, it was a little more comedy, and it's brilliant. And it would have made my list if I didn't think it was kind of a cliche. You don't need me to recommend Evil Dead Two; yeah. it's that mm-hmm. famous. Um, it's and it's properly celebrated, unlike Beetlejuice, for example, where mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes like, people overlook just how brilliant it is. Mm-hmm. And just talk about how popular it is. Uh, but then Army of Darkness is. It's sort of it's 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 kind of like the 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 dry run for Xena Warrior Princess. It's just this medieval mm. monster well, you, comedy action hybrid. You, you might have noticed that a lot of the films on my list are very cartoony. They're very broad. A lot of like mm-hmm. it's it, they're slapstick movies with monsters in them. And you know, I, I you might say that that might be my favorite genre. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's maybe why I was so drawn to Psycho Gorman earlier this year. Yeah, it's a comedy film with a bunch of weird monsters and a lot of blood. And just like Gremlins 2, this is a slapstick comedy film. Uh, and there's even like a squash and stretch minute where uh, Bruce Campbell playing Ash. The arc of Ash is really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, in that he's just sort of like an everyman in, in, in the first Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. He's a, a little bit more of this like put upon schmo who is just barely making it work in Evil Dead 2. I feel like in Evil Dead 2 is like a silent comedy hero. Yeah, yeah, he's a sad is. sack, but he's en- he's endlessly capable when the mm. chips are down. Mm. But he will always lose. And uh, by the time we get to Army of Darkness, he's essentially like a medieval warrior, but yeah. he's also like a big dumb asshole now. I know. He's like he gets he got like his he's as a character he gets worse and worse as the the, like, the shows. He progress. gets more confident, but just because you're confident doesn't mean you're a good person. Yeah, he's I, a dick in this movie. <laughs> 
I haven't seen Ash versus Evil Dead, which was made out like many yeah. years after, but I hear like that arc continues apace. Like he's just a m- miserable fucker by that show. Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say mm. that I haven't seen it either, mm. and I really need to get around to it because obviously I love it, mm. but yeah, it's so hard to watch TV. You don't have to watch for work when your job mm. is to watch TV for well, work. Also, I'm sure it's available now, but it was yeah. like only on Stars yeah, was, for it, the longest time. They put it on Netflix eventually. I don't know if it still yeah, is, yeah. but it, it, you can find it. Mm. Um, but yeah, th- this is uh, Ash transported back to, uh, as far as I can tell, it's around 1300 AD and I'm being led to my death. It wasn't always like this. Uh, and <laughs> he uh, has been transported back in time when there's demons lurking around this medieval castle it's where he's King being Arthur. held. It's, it's King Arthur. It's, yeah. he, he's, he is named Arthur. Yeah. And there's a Merlin and, type. Uh, and uh, he uh, is tasked with being the warrior to go get an evil book, the Necronomicon, that's going to send him back to the present, but in so doing, because he's such a fuck-up... Yeah, he ends up unleashing unleashing an entire army army of of the the dead. dead. Yeah, Yeah. the army of darkness. Which are led led by an evil clone of himself. Right. (laughs) So he gets to play two roles. Um... I, a, 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 a lot's I, happening. This movie's like eighty-five minutes. Oh yeah, this is this, this is a this is a manic sprint of uh, a film, and we didn't even talk about the scene where uh, he ends up uh, fighting an army of himself that is they're all like two inches himself, tall, yeah. and they're just uh, it's, it's basically um, Gulliver's Travels, except it's all a bunch of hymns, and they're trying mm. to kill him. Um, oh my god. It's but every, I, was, yeah. I was talking about how it's cartoony. There's a, a moment where yeah. he has to um, choose one of three evil books, three necro- Necronomicons, yeah. and he opens one and you get sucked inside. There's a portal in the book. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. he, and he, we just sort of look at it for a few minutes it's and like it looks like he's gone. Space. Yeah. It's like it's really bad. Like, and then like, the movie just stops there and you half expect the credits to roll after yeah, about like, five seconds. Oh, that's it. <laughs> oh, no, and then, then it opens up and he pulls himself out and it elongates, like stretches his face. And it's kind of impressive makeup effect. Yeah. And it, There's it, no articulation in like the mask. It's yeah. totally static, but, but it looks it, cool. It looks like something that would happen to Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, like and, your and, face would just get stuck that way. And he shakes his face and you hear his like his cheeks and it kind of like is it goes down a little a little bit but not all the way and he's, <laughs> and he's kind of gotta, stuck that way for a few minutes he's got to do that a couple of things he's got to yeah. shake it off a few yeah. times and he's like whoa wrong yeah. book <laughs> and then he goes to the next book and then he stops and he's like ah? yeah. <laughs> then he picks the other book and the other book bites his hand and flies around like a bat uh the, the performance bruce campbell gives in mm. this film mm-hmm. uh is a you can you compare him to sort of like a sad sack silent comedian in Army of Darkness. This is full bore Buster Keaton level of comedic mm-hmm. physical comedy. He's, it's like if Buster Keaton had Groucho's confidence. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of what it feels like. He doesn't have Groucho's wit, if, but he has if, Groucho's confidence. If, if Harold Lloyd were a dick, yeah, he would be Ash, and and because he's uh, an inspired physical yeah, comedian. The, the, the physical stuff in, physical in Evil Dead too, like where he's fighting his own hand, is, yeah. is pretty brilliant. Oh, but God. so so brilliant. Army of Darkness, he really gives just sort of a first rate cinema classic kind of comedy performance, mm-hmm. and I'm not not kidding about that. No, he's great. Uh, so legitimately great. Yeah. And is the movie silly? Yes. Yeah. Uh, was it is a bo- it, was it a bomb? It was a huge bomb. Uh, yeah. It was it was and, shot. And yet it still manages to feel kind of cheap. Yeah. Uni- <laughs> Universal. They didn't fund it, but they distributed it and. They didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to sell this movie. They, yeah, so like, like they yeah. tried to treat it as like maybe kind of an action movie, yeah. but it's not satisfying as an action yeah. movie. They definitely didn't want to call it Medieval Dead or Evil Dead 3. They yeah. wanted people who had never seen those 
two X-rated horror movies. <laughs> One of which was a video nasty. Yeah. It was like, banned in England. Like, okay, so if you... Well, this is a movie that is clearly accessible to a lot of people. You can see this if you're 13 and get a gas out of it, and, like, it won't it won't fuck you up for life. Mm. So, like, they wanted to, like, sell it as its own entity, even mm. though it's a very direct sequel. <laughs> uh, I, I sympathize. Honestly, that, that's a hard sell to a mainstream market in the early 90s. It yeah, actually yeah. is. They did a piss poor job of it. I think they could have done better by just telling people literally what it was. I think you would have gotten at least a more appreciative audience and maybe a bit more. Uh, maybe it would at least have had more legs because the word of mouth would have been better. Mm. Tricking people into a theater to see a movie that they're not actually going to see might get you some money yeah, on opening that's... weekend, but it will kill you in the long run because people don't like being lied to and they're going to turn on the movie even if the movie is good for what it is. And yeah. then it takes like years for the movie to build up goodwill again on home video. And, and that sucks. Like, and I feel like Army of Darkness, uh, like Evil Dead 2 is still to this day the more celebrated of the two. Mm-hmm. I, saw, I would uh, argue it's better, but I see your point with Army um, of Darkness. Well, Army of Darkness, I think, is just the funnier film. It's a lot more energetic. There's a lot more stuff going on in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think that's why I prefer it. But yeah. um, I'm, I'm not going to ever, ever impugn Evil Dead 2. How could you? Uh, but uh, I think Evil Dead 2 fans were expecting a little bit more of like the Fangoria stuff, a lot yeah. more of like hard-edged violence, and this is a lot more cartoony. They were trying to make a PG-13 rated film. I think it's only... <laughs> they failed. I think it's only rated R because of the fountain of blood. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of fucking blood. Uh, yeah. The, but yeah, it's it's pretty tame in terms of violence, and I think that mm-hmm. turned off a lot of fans to Evil Dead 2. People had never yeah. heard of the Evil Dead movies, didn't know what to make it of this thing. It was kind of six of one half. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. yeah, it's neither fish nor fowl, and as such, it's even though it's a I think a brilliant comedic film, it's kind of fallen in this weird crack yeah. where everybody's seen it, but it's not ever held up as high as mm-hmm. I think it ought to be. That's fair. Hmm. I can work with that. So uh, so yeah, I love well, it. Number one, I'm gonna put Army of Darkness just to. Give it some of its adolescent power back. Listen, I love it. I love it to pieces. I've mm. seen it dozens of times. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, th- those are our picks. So, uh, once again, uh, for those who uh, would like a quick recap, and after we give a recap, we're going to give some runners up because we both have a lot of horror comics oh, yeah, that we yeah. like. Uh, here is Whitney's list, and in no particular order except it ends in number one uh, A Tie Between Shaun of the Dead and World's End, uh, Terror Vision. Frankenhooker, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, Freaked, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, Adam's Family slash Adam's Family Values. Luca, get off the counter. Luca, get off that counter. Thank you. Uh, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, Young Frankenstein and Army of Darkness. And my list was Amy Heckerling's Vamps, American Psycho, Arsenic and Old Lace, A Tie Between Waxwork and Waxwork 2, Lost in Time, Mm. Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, A Tie Between Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, Beetlejuice, The Voices, Night of the Creeps, and Young Frankenstein. Mm. Uh, Whitney, while I go investigate what the cat knocked over, why don't you give us some of your runners up? Uh, Golly, I have a long list, so I'm just going to run through a couple titles here. Um, uh, Taika Waititi's What We Do in the Shadows is hilarious. It's a, a... interview reality uh, mockumentary about vampires and how they're bad roommates. Um, Happy <laughs> yeah. Death Day was on my list. Uh, a spoof movie with Leslie Nielsen called Repossessed is really a cute, cute Very fun, stupid, but cute very film. funny. Um, this one, I, I feel bad leaving it off, but Peter Jackson's Dead Alive. Yeah. Uh, is it, it, A, it's one of the... I think maybe still to this day the goriest film ever made. It's right up there, yeah. Uh, and, In terms of blood and viscera, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Paul Bartel's Eating Raul. We were talking about that sort of Bartel energy in a couple mm-hmm. of these. He made one. It's called mm-hmm. Eating Raul. It's great. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, Tekken Tag versus Evil. Uh, Hell Baby is kind of, kind of kind of a little goof. It's an underappreciated mm. and mostly forgotten right. movie. And Hell Baby will make you laugh. You will laugh yeah, at it, Hell Baby. It's very funny. It, it's overexposed. Its clout is takes far far too much space in the popular firmament. But if you go back and watch Ghostbusters, it's still just a well done movie. It's a good. The first yeah. Ghostbusters in particular yeah. is a very good film. Yeah. I will um, I will go to bat for it. Um, the 1986 musical Little Shop of Horrors. Yep. Uh, I, I wish they had the, the temerity to include the original ending where the, the plant destroys the world. I think it's on the Blu-ray now. Yeah. I think um, you finally see it. it, it it's, it's cheap as fuck. It's almost unwatchable, but Attack of the Killer Tomatoes has yeah. a weird clunky charm to it. Uh, I mentioned the silence of the hams already. Um, mm. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Yay! <laughs> is, I left that one excellent. off because I put it on a previous list. Oh, okay. I, I thought... It, Kind of redundant to keep bringing it back yeah, over and over again. Just like uh, Terror Vision, uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space mm-hmm. is a nice, weird uh, slapstick sort of monster movie with a really rockin' theme tune. Uh, uh, Parents is a really... Yes. I'm not really sure if that counts as a comedy, but... It's a very bleak comedy. It's, it's a bleak black comedy about yeah. uh, 1950s uh, parents of a young boy who may be cannibals. Yeah, and no one believes the kid. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's actually... Maybe scarier than it is funny, but it clearly has a sense of humor. Uh, in the Amblin mold, arachnophobia is a delightful I, film. Another one I put on another list, I think, yeah. and I love arachnophobia to pieces. Uh, I'm not going to mention Rockula because you're going to bring it up. I will uh, mention Rockula. <laughs> uh, uh, John Waters' Serial Mom oh, is, yeah, is pretty, pretty delightful. Yeah. Uh, Bride of Chucky kind of t- took mm-hmm. the series in a new direction and a better one, and one that mm-hmm. actually has allowed it to live to this day. It's great. Uh, it, the series would not be alive today without sort of the, the glories of Bride of Chucky. No, I think that's fair to yeah. say. Uh, at least, I, at least they would have been rebooted and not like kept going. Yeah, they yeah. would have like gone. It would have gone fallow, and then they would have brought it back with just mm-hmm. a reboot rather than letting the original keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another Bruce Campbell film in this one where he plays an elderly Elvis Bubba Hotep directed yep. by Don Coscarelli uh, Don Coscarelli has a wonderful uh, sense of humor in fact uh, he also did a really good I'm not really sure if it's a horror comedy I don't even know what the hell it is but it's called John Dies at the End I think it's a horror comedy oh, okay yeah um, uh, I mentioned Vampire Academy uh, yeah. Quentin Depew, a French Canadian director made a film about a killer tire called Rubber mm-hmm. which is more of an absurdist comedy than a horror comedy but yeah. still still worth checking out uh, I dig the Greasy Strangler. Yeah. <laughs> it's Greasy Strangler is a movie that I appreciate, but it's kind of hard to recommend. Because it is disgusting. Yeah, there are certain people who will love this movie more than almost any other film, mm. and a lot of other people will be like, why did you tell me to watch that? <laughs> it's <laughs> so hard to recommend. Sick. Look into it and decide if, which side you're on, because there's nothing wrong with you if you're on either side. Oh, it's, trying to be re- it's trying to be repulsive, and that's either fascinating or, you know, repulsive. Mm. If, if you're repelled, it worked. Yeah. Um, I want to fill the world with grease. Um, Werewolves Within and Psycho Gorman. Yeah. Uh, again, they came out this year. I so think I'm not time. Put them on high I, lists, I think in but, time, both of those movies will yeah. rise up in my ranks and maybe even make yeah. my top ten. I love both of those. And one, one I haven't seen in a while, but I remember fondly from childhood mm. was Transylvania Six Five Thousand. You know, I haven't seen that in forever, and I remember yeah. liking it as a kid too. I need mm. to revisit. That. I hope it's aged well. I don't know. Yeah, if it has. Yeah. It might have aged badly. Um, so that's it for yours? Uh, and uh, a few that you all remember. Arsenic okay. and Old Lace, uh, Beetlejuice. Okay, uh, let's see. Here's I, I had a long one. I'm going to try to cherry pick the important ones. Uh, James Wales's The Old Dark House is kind of came before a lot of genre codifications. It's yeah, definitely again, not, funny. Not, not sure it's definitely comedy, horror, but, yeah. but I don't know what it is. But I think it, it, you would, you'd I be mean, happy it, watching it. Watch it. It's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, Spider Baby 
is <laughs> one of the weirdest fucking most wonderful movies you've ever seen. Again, um, that's that's more weird than it is funny, I, though. I, I mean, I, again, I, humor. I, I love Spider Baby. I think yeah. it works, but anyway, uh, Motel Hell is very underrated. I feel that's a great one. Neither of us mentioned this is also kind of a headshot at American Werewolf in London. Oh, yeah. Which is a great movie. Um, uh, I know I thought it was a little obvious. I, uh, I don't. I don't adore it, but I do like yeah. it a lot. I, and the same way, it's not right. my favorite or anything like that, but it deserves the mm. praise. I think. Uh, Reanimator is another one where again I just thought it was a little obvious. Uh, Return mm. of the Living Dead is really quite clever and funny. Mm. Uh, House and House Two: The Second Story came very close to being on my list. I'm very fond of a film called Killer Party. Uh, oh, I haven't seen Killer Party. Most people have not heard of this movie. It kind of just fell under the cracks of 1980s uh, like nostalgia and like no one cares about it. Uh, watch it knowing as little as possible because it goes in weird places and it's a hoot. It's a really, really fun <laughs> film. Watch Killer Party. On that note, I think they came out around the same time. Death Spa is great. <laughs> Death, Spa is, Death Spa is great garbage. Yes, it is, but it knows it's it, garbage. It, it's really good. I'm not sure how much it does. It's got I, like possessed fish and shit. It's got know, weird it's so stuff great. in that movie. Um, here's the one that's like kind of a comedy, but kind of not, or at the very least, I'm not sure the director's sense of humor is funny, but it's brilliant. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 mm. is a weird fucking mm. film. Yeah, I think when it, opens, when it opens with the family from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre winning a chili cook-off, you know there's supposed to be a sense of humor to this movie. Uh, they're, they're, but it's also right, okay. a trip to hell. Yeah, <laughs> really I was about to say, by, by the end, when like people yeah. are wearing each other's skin and stuff, it's yeah. like, this isn't a comedy anymore. It's, it's, kind of, it's, kind of what, it, it's another one where it's kind of hard to define as a comedy, but uh. I think it also works. So, mm. eh. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Um, I wasn't sure if, how, if this is horrifying or just kind of tragic, but Heather's. Is kind of a horror comedy if you think I, about I it. I guess you know? it's yeah. I, I, yeah, I think if in the again, like, an old lace school of, so, of horror social comedy, satires don't necessarily yeah. count as comedies. But yeah. okay, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give, uh, I'll let killer, you have killer clowns from outer space is yeah. a classic. Uh, you you picked a Frank Henenlotter movie. I came very close to picking Brain Damage. Uh, Brain Damage is good too. Very very yeah. fun. I picked the Burbs on a previous list, so I didn't want to include that again. Mm. Rockula. I cannot, in good conscience, call Rockula like one of the best horror comedies ever made, but it is one of the most entertaining. It's very mm. light. It's very fun. It is mostly forgotten. That is a shame. It is a musical about a vampire who is just trying to get laid, uh, but in a sweet way, not in like a not in like a Porky's kind of way. He's yeah, saving himself for the one woman he's always loved, and she one keeps dying keep... one week after he meets her, and then gets reincarnated. And it's been hundreds of years now and it's getting kind of sad um and she's getting murdered by thomas dolby i know his, um, his mom is played by tony basil yeah. he, he befriends uh bo diddley and susan terrell it's got amazing cast yeah. and the music's actually pretty fun so i do recommend it it's it's, it's a hoot um not a good movie but i enjoy it i want to give a shout out Ernest scared stupid um let's see here dr giggles is very fun for me uh another Again, not a comedy i think dr. it's funny giggles. i think it's funny um hmm. You you picked a Bob Balaban movie and you're runners up. I'm gonna pick up my boyfriend's back. Wait, well, I haven't is, seen my boyfriend's which is back. Very very funny if you ask me. Cannibal the musical is very funny. Uh, <laughs> it, that's a, it, that's a horror comedy. It, it, no, it's definitely a horror okay. comedy. Um, the only issue with Cannibal the Musical is they they only had a hundred dollars to make it. And oh, it's it looks so cheap. Like it. It's like, so cheap. Like they're clearly shooting into Penga Canyon. But they did the most they could with that, and yeah. I and I think they did a great job. Uh, no, Idle yeah. yeah, Idle Hands is very very funny. Mm. Uh, Psycho Beach Party is very very funny. Oh, of course, Psycho Beach Party. Uh, I forgot Wild about that Zero. One. I don't. It's another one where I don't know if it's a comedy per se, it, but it's definitely rock, not it, normal. It's horror rock musical. Um, 
it's another one that's way too cheap for its own good, but the jokes are surprisingly funny. Santa's Sleigh, starring Bill Goldberg as, as an evil Santa. Oh, I didn't see that one. That you'd like that I, movie. I, I finally got you to like see that um, movie. That's your sense of humor. What was it called? Uh, not not Rare Exports. Yeah. The uh, the French film. Oh, uh, uh, Dial Code Santa Claus. Dial Code Santa Claus. I it's finally saw a couple that of things. One. Isn't yeah. that great? That's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. It's not, I don't know if that's a comedy. I think it's more of a straight horror movie with a no, weird. Just, I, I job, saw it but, recently and I liked it. Uh, let's see. Jennifer's Body came this close to being on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really great. Uh, let's see here. You, oh, you know, quite what? a few that you mentioned. Uh, I'm going to skip over Hell Baby. Um, let's see. Oh, you here. know what I forgot to include um, is the Toxic Avenger. Oh, there you go. Um, let's see. Uh, Mayhem is a really, really great uh, a movie about uh, a virus that winds up in an office building and removes everyone's inhibitions, and everyone just starts having sex and killing each other. Oh, weird! Um, right. It's a surprisingly Dumb. strong film for that premise. You'd think it would just be lurid, but yeah. it actually has a lot to say, and it's All really, right. really cool. It's got All Samara right. Weaving and Stephen Yen in it. Um, it's a really good cast. Uh, Ready or Not is one where I feel like it's a little too soon, but I love that movie to pieces, and yeah, I feel like yeah. that can make my list uh, in the very near future. Uh, the Guest is genius. Malignant, I think, is I think it qualifies. <laughs> give, give some... Ma- Malignant is look just because we're laughing. I, I think we're supposed to laugh. I think we're supposed to I laugh. Think we're supposed to laugh, but you know, yeah. at, at kind of how how wild it is, not yeah. how funny it is. Uh, Psycho Gorman is mm. still one of my favorite movies of the year. Mm. And then the last one I want to give a shout out to a movie that went straight to video. Nobody saw it. Nobody cared. But if this movie had come out pretty much exactly the way it is in the '80s, it would be, I think, a very popular, beloved cult film. It's called Don't Kill It. You've told me about Don't Kill It Don't before. Kill It is about a demon that possesses you, and if you kill the person who's possessed, the demon goes into whoever killed it. Uh, Dolph Lundgren plays a demon hunter who has been doing this for... It's like Rustler's Rhapsody. He's been doing mm-hmm. this... He's been killing demons for so long he's bored with it. Uh, it's really gory. It's really clever. Dolph Lundgren is actually very funny in it, which is not something you can usually say about Dolph Lundgren. Uh, and uh, it's a hoot, and if you think you've seen every horror movie and you haven't seen Don't Kill It... It's worth checking out. It's clever. It's gory. It's cute. It's probably got too low budget for its own good. But other than that, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, and the last one, Vampires versus the Bronx. Yeah. Now the one, give it yeah. some time. I think it's only going to rise in people's estimation. That, that, I really hope Vampires versus the Bronx like yeah. g- gets to slumber parties. Yeah. Because it's that kind of a movie. It's really good. It, it's yeah. it's like. It's like a you know Monster Squad level, like yeah. that that kind of genre, that kind mm-hmm. of uh, level. The kids are all really wonderful. Yeah, in that movie. well written. It's got it's yeah. actually got like a good point to it. Yeah, like, like it's like well a, thought like, out. Like, like it's, it's about something, which yeah. is really nice. No, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the Iron List for the month of October. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you to every single one of our patrons who voted. Uh, for this month's list We hope you enjoyed it uh, Let us know if you see any of these movies Especially for the first time And let us know what you thought about them mm-hmm. uh, Our Twitter uh, account is At Critic Acclaim I'm at William Bibiani I'm at Whitney Seibold If you want to talk about anything Or recommend some horror comedies That we forgot uh, We would love to hear from you Our email address is Letters at criticallyacclaimed.net We might read your email In an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail Whitney, if people like to send us a snail mail What is our P.O. Box? You can, yeah, send us an actual physical letter Handwrite it if you want Just make sure we can read your handwriting it's uh, Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, and uh, next month on on the Iron List, we do have another poll. Uh, and uh, this poll should be available around the same time this episode goes live, and we usually leave them up for a couple of days. So if you haven't said, you know, only our patrons can vote. Got to go to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Even $1 a month, you get bonus podcasts, and you get to vote in all the polls. Uh, so the poll for next time, for the month of November is uh, the following. Here are your options. Uh, The best films of 1971, 50 years ago. 
Mm. So let's see what they had. Uh, the best Meryl Streep movies, which very long career and uh, a long enough and illustrious enough that I think we, our list might end up very different. Uh, the best crime movies. We did do a film noir thing, but that's not quite the same thing. No, a lot of crime movies no, no. are not noir films. Like like a mob movie is not is a crime movie, but it's not yeah. a noir film necessarily. Yeah. So like those will be very different lists. Uh, and then finally, uh, the you can also vote for the next uh, installment in our ongoing series: the best movies that begin with the letter E. Mm. You don't you don't you don't have to pick that, but you it's don't. an option. It's an option if you want it. Sometimes people do. Mm. Some people like those. If you don't want that. Vote for something else, and we'll do that. And we'll do that in the month of November. So once again, thank you everybody for listening. Very special thank you to all of our patrons, without whom this show and none of our other shows would exist. We're incredibly grateful to you. We think mm. you're the best. Um, and um, that's the list. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.